podcasting, the remarkably crowded frontier. These are the conversations of two brothers and their mom. Their 13-episode mission, to explore strange old movies, to seek out new bits and new jokes, to boldly go where no mom has gone before. Welcome to the next episode of Where No Mom Has Gone Before, a Night Shift Radio original. I'm Captain Casey Ryan. I'm Commander Colin Ryan. And we have an admiral on the bridge. Admiral on the bridge. Our mother, Laura Ryan. Hello, guys. Now, did Casey... Did you say this is the nextus episode? Yeah, no, I well, we can go there too. <laughs> I said next because we are now into the next generation of Star Trek movies. We are with my favorite crew, the USS Enterprise D. We'll get to them. We'll, we'll be with the B for a little bit. Oh, and before we actually get deep into this, I don't know if you noticed the shirt I'm wearing, but let me stand up for a second and show you. Oh, neat. Where'd you get that? I can just see Starship Enterprise. What's the top? The top of it is my personal favorite Enterprise, the Enterprise C, an ambassador class that was only featured in yesterday's Enterprise, the episode where it comes through and creates a rift in the future. Mm-hmm. And... Tasha is still alive, all that good stuff. It is my favorite of the designs of a ship, and it gets no love. So I'm wearing it in honor because in all these movies, we see the A, we see the original, we see the A, we see the B, we see the D, and we see the E. No love for the C. That's uh, that's horrible. There's no ambassador classes in the next movie as cannon fodder. You know, I'm going to pay attention real hard during the, the. that's not the Battle of Wolf 359. No. That's, that's the first one. I don't think this has a battle name, but it's. Uh, I'll look to see. Do you know what's in that battle is the Millennium Falcon? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh... I got this, uh, by the way, I didn't answer, from uh, T Public. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So, here we are to discuss, uh, hey, remember when I said during five that we were going to have a string of good movies coming up? You lied. This is fine. It's just boring. Yeah. My my overall thing of this movie was, well, look, of all the movies we're going to watch for this podcast, this is one of them. It's just there. I want to put it on David Carson, but like I just said with yesterday's Enterprise, he directed that episode. He's a good director. Yeah. I thought it was slow, but Mm -hmm. one thing I can say about it, there's several things, but my my first comment (laughs) when I watched it was, as far as I'm concerned, it's got the best, best death scene in any Star Trek movie. Oh, Kirk's? Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's the best Shatner we get. He, yep. he did a great job with that. Yep. And that was all a reshoot. Oh, yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah we'll, get, we'll get there in a second. I think the main <laughs> problems in this film are the script. Woof. And, like, the production values and how rushed it was. So, I mean, they basically started filming this immediately after the end of... Four days. They, they really? Didn't fil- they didn't film it in four days. No, no, they filmed it for, they started, they closed on all good things. They literally shut down so they could add the extra stuff to the sides of the D bridge so that it, ha- so it's not just 
empty space on a widescreen format, and then they started shooting. All the Enterprise B stuff was shot while Next Generation was being shot, the end of Next Generation. Yeah. Because they didn't need any Next Generation crew. And the saddest thing, while we're talking about pre-production, have we all seen the uniforms they were supposed to wear in this movie? Uh, Only as a toy, but yes. Uh, Hang on. Here we go. I'm just going to send it to you right now. I just sent it to you as an email. I also have the toy. I have... Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Wait, you have the original version? Oh, look at that. Where'd you get that? On the internet. It's pretty good. Yeah, those so, those would have been better. Yeah, you see he's got his rank here. He also has pips over here. And he also has the flap. I mean, we, we got to continue the flap that they can take down when, like, it's relaxing time or, you know, somebody's son dies. Yeah. And actually, they shot some things with it. The, the two pictures I just sent you, if you look, one of them is Jordy, or LeVar Burton, rather, wearing that uniform. But Rick Berman decided <laughs> in his Rick Berman-ness that it was going to cost too much. And so the only people who got what are called top color uniforms, the where it's all black, but they're, what is it called? Their station on the, on the ship is here. It's the Deep Space Nine ones. The only people who got new ones built for them were Brent Spiner and... Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Jonathan Frakes had to wear Avery Brooks. He's wearing Avery so- Brooks's, yeah. And has much. <laughs> That's why he had to roll it. I'm like, how <sighs> much would it have cost to extend? I mean, that's like a minimum amount of fabric. I would rather have seen the line where they had to add it than having him rolled up. It looked so stupid. Now, when I wore something that had been Avery Brooks, it fit wonderfully in the sleeves. But. <laughs> Wait, is this for real? Or yeah, no. Infant? In, in uh, it, my costume in King Lear in graduate school was had been uh, something he'd worn in Tamburlaine. Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah, I looked in it and it said Brooks Tamburlaine Tamburlaine. Oh my god, that's awesome! Yeah. You know what Levar Burton says? Who's he's wearing? No, Cole Meany. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. guys about three or four inches taller and probably got at least 50 pounds on LeVar Burton. But yeah, let's put him in that. But beyond the, I mean, look, not getting your lead actor's clothing that fits is pretty bad, but you also just Mm -hmm. kind of like, it makes no sense. I mean, people change back and forth. In Deep Space Nine, I don't know if you've gotten to this, Mom, but if you notice, anyone who comes onto the ship is wearing the next generation suit, or comes onto the station, rather, and then once they're part of the crew, they get the purple with the color top. So there are some people in the background that are wearing the old next gen front zips. There are people in the background that are wearing Deep Space Nine. It's just, it's it really looks terrible. And really, in case you haven't noticed since I ranted for about 10 <laughs> minutes about it, really upsets me. Costuming. <sighs> now, but the, the funny thing is other parts of the movie I think look great. I think the lighting is is kind of gorgeous at times. Yeah, it actually looks like in yesterday's Enterprise, the the bridge looks like it's colored or lit like the bridge in yesterday's Enterprise. Well, and they have light sources coming through windows, so you have this feeling of like, oh, we're around a star, we're around, you know, and just yeah. things they couldn't do on a TV budget. But also, some of that darkness is to hide the fact that those are still television quality sets. Now, I mean, t- it's TV, and what <laughs> the movie is nineteen ninety four. There's no HD TV. These sets would no. not stand up to a movie camera at all. No, and I watched this on uh, in 1080, so yeah, <laughs> all the crappiness was there. This, I this got a- it in HD today. That yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. HD. Yeah, that, that's going to be the same. Now, thing. did you? Yep. Did any of this stand out to you, Mom? Or are we? Or, 
or was no, it just... I don't pay attention to uniforms. <laughs> well, not even just uniforms, <laughs> but just the general you? like sense of <laughs> things don't look like they fit and things look a little cheap. I and I'm sorry, I, I didn't sell. notice it. I didn't. No. No, I paid attention to the plot and the, to the, the what the, now? The, the, the what? Well, what there was the, who, the what? The what? They all burned to death in the fire. It, well, you know, it was very confusing because I wrote down. I had already watched it once. Yeah. And I was going to watch it again last week when we didn't record, and then I so I had to watch it today, and I had questions, and then they eventually got answered. Because I forgot. It, you, you, I'm, remember, I'm, you, you finished watching the movie this time. No, I finished watching it last time, but I was still confused as to why the saucer wasn't destroyed when the ribbon came through. And then I forgot, oh, that's because they went came back. Which I'm sure, never mind, we'll get to that later. It yeah, was, we'll, right? It, so it was, but then we get, we, get yeah. a bit of, we get a little time travel loopy loopy here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which the t- uh, the amount of budget cutting in this movie is apparent through and through, and that is one of the scenes. When we get to it, we get to it. Uh, the other main production thing is: Did you know originally at the christening of the Enterprise B, it was supposed to be Spock and Bones, not Chekhov and Scotty? Oh, sure. To the point where originally Nimoy was asked to direct this and have the small part in it. And uh, after reading the script, he was told there was no time to fix the parts in which he had problems. <laughs> See, I hear, have here that both Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly felt they had made a proper goodbye in the last movie. Well, yes. And then they're not wrong. They're not yeah. wrong, but also DeForest Kelly's declining health made it hard for them to get insurance for him. Oh, I didn't know that. Also, yeah. unlike the other two actors... Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly felt like they had been properly paid for the last movie. So they didn't need the money in the same way. And it's clear who's who. Like, like Oh, suddenly, yeah, they did not change the dialogue at all. Chekhov suddenly knows first aid. I'm just like, what the hell is happening? Well, to be fair, Chekhov has done a lot of different things. He was a, he was... He was a navigator. He was security. He was, he's done everything. But watching that first scene in the B, there's so many times where I'm going, I want to hear Leonard Nimoy and DeFort, like, oh, very touching, Captain. Brought a tear to me, I. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I want to hear them say that. <laughs> well, yeah, that was, not, I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah, it, I mean, it's just, it's weird. No, it's not very, it's wary good, Captain. Very good, Captain. Wary. Yes, brought a tear to my eye. I think the the way the film, we're, you know, we're sort of jumping in here before doing any more talk about the exciting pre-production nightmare, but I think the opening part of the film works pretty well. You know, part of it is that there there are, you know, you've got, they have a functioning Excelsior set, they have plenty of red costumes, they have, like, you know, they know, they know how to make a movie set in that time period, roughly that time period. They've been making, this is the seventh time they've made that, and now... It, things start to go a little more off the rails when they they jump forward and give the next gen cast a bit of short shrift with their first movie. Oh my god! I mean, uh, 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 Ron Moore and Brandon Braga have come out and said like this is supposed to be the bridge that gapped the two movies, and instead it almost like burned the bridge that is the Star Trek movie franchise. This movie was so ill received. They weren't sure they were going to make any more. See, I don't remember it being that big a big a bomb, but I mean, I don't, I don't even, I didn't look at what. I mean, look, the budget was any guesses? 
I'm going to say probably in the $10 million range. It's 1994, remember. $10 million is nothing. 25? 35. Wow. wow, what, do you wow. Think, what do you think it made? Uh, 60. 118 million. Okay, so it was a success, but. $1 like... million for every minute. The, of the film. But they also got a lot of money from the promotional toys and stuff, too. Well, yes, it mm. is. They're licensing. And that is why I have this toy, because they had sent this design to Playmates, and then Rick Berman pulled the plug, and everyone went, we can't stop the toys. They're, like, molded. They're going to go out in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I don't remember there being toys for it, for any of the previous ones, but this was probably one of the first. Well, you know, because you think about it, what do you, the, the sort of modern era of, of that kind of toys and merchandising really begins in 89, which sure. is the same year five comes out. You're really going to sell toys on a Cold War thriller in space for six, but this one is a little more... Yeah. Family-friendly adventure, right? Yeah, I mean, well, like we talked about in 5, I did look up the Marshmallow Maker. There are many of them available on eBay. I'm toying with the idea of buying one just to have. But the problem is it looks like the thing Spock used, but then on the side of it, it just says Star Trek V, The Voyage Home. Like, I don't need to be reminded. (laughs) Or Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. I don't need to be reminded of this terrible movie. So do we want to talk a little bit more about how this turkey was made <laughs> how this turkey got stuffed uh, before we dive into the plot as yeah. such as it is yeah i'm trying i'm just looking over what else i got production wise uh for this film they had mm-hmm. to bring back out the big daddy d yes most of the exterior shots of the enterprise past encounter at farpoint were done with a four foot model I yeah, believe. it's a four-foot model. I think they switched sometime in the second or third season, actually. According to this, it says it was only used in Encounter at Farpoint just because it was done like a movie. Uh, this model was six feet and could actually yeah. separate. That's why they never separated like, I think that, on, the sh- on the show. <laughs> but they would always bring it up. Should we separate? Mm-hmm. No, no. We don't, we don't have the budget. <laughs> and it was taken out of storage to meet the demands of the big screen because it had to stand up to, like, movie lighting. And jumping to the end, when they put it away at the end of this movie... They just assumed that the next Enterprise would again be a Galaxy-class starship. So they put it away, Enterprise E. If you look online, you can see pictures of it being put in storage, and it says uh, NCC-1701E. Oh, interesting. Yep. Hmm. And then somebody went, no, 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 we're going to make a computer-generated. We want to make new toys. And we'll make it computer-generated. This is the last time we'll see a model ship. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. I think the E is probably... Well, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll discuss that next time, but... Yeah, yeah. I like how we just keep talking about the previous movies and then the next movies, because we don't want to talk I'm about this movie. very excited to talk about the next movie. <laughs> there is a feeling... I mean, I, don't, I had that feeling, like, this movie feels like something we have to get over to get... To get, you know, like... I, I just I sometimes I wonder if it was a mistake having a bridge between the two. I mean I I, I mean No. Yeah. I mean no, well I Roddenberry so. never wanted anyone to meet. Mm. From original to what about what about the pilot of Next Generation? Uh, he McCoy, pushed McCoy up, is in that. He pushed up against it. He didn't want it. Oh, I didn't know that. Did you guys know that the Enterprise D's destruction also appeared the Saucer Crass had the first pre- been proposed by Moore as the conclusion to part one of the sixth season cliffhanger story that had been scrapped. I guess they th- had originally were going to have one of the Next Generation crew get killed. Uh-huh, and that was kibosh pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, someone said, maybe Kirk. And they said, we sort of looked around and said, that might be it. <laughs> I mean, that makes the most sense if you're looking for a baton 
past, yes, right? Absolutely. You know? yep. uh, now, you do know that there have been a, a whole series of novels. Uh, with Kirk's clone by Romulans, yes. Well, or something. There's, I, have, I have no idea what happens in them. I just know that they are allegedly written or co-written by William Shatner, but it's all about, he's back! And he's evil. Oh, okay. And he has to face off against Picard again as the evil clone and dies again, but in a more machismo way. Okay. And you said Shatner wrote those? Of course he did. Well, Shatner said Shatner wrote those. You know, the the cover of the book says Shatner wrote those, but I don't know who wrote them. (laughs) No, actually he has. He does have credited co-authors who are like major Star Trek writers, the Garfields, but, you know. Um, not, not the cat or the president or the um, Spider-Man. Yeah. All right. I think, I feel like we've avoided it long enough and somebody has to start talking about the plot of this movie. Yeah. There's one last thing I do want to point out. This is pretty cool. There is a background actor that was on all seven seasons of, uh, next generation. And she is, I think the only background actor that I can think of that has been in all three divisions of Starfleet. Her name is Tracy Lee Coco. If you haven't seen, I'll share it later. Uh, one of the Star Trek bloopers when they're throwing Worf's party and Worf and uh, mm-hmm. Riker's like, what are you talking about? A party? Who's throwing you a party? I, you know, Frakes decides to really like ham it up. He goes, what are you talking oh. about? A party? And then he chases Tracy off the set. That's this Tracy. Mm. She was an ensign in the first half of TNG. And then she becomes an engineer. Uh, she's also in the episode where Data reads the Ode to Spot poem. She is the one sitting next to uh, Picard as he is falling asleep during it. Then she becomes a junior grade lieutenant. Uh, she has flight control of the Enterprise in this movie. She has, like, black spiky hair. So you you can't miss her once you know that she's there. She then becomes a science officer in first contact, and she is in her dress uniform in insurrection. Sadly, she is not in Nemesis. She doesn't make it all the way to the end. But she was there encounter at Farpoint to wow. insurrection. So, And once you know what she looks like, you're going to notice her. Like when Picard comes to 10 forward to talk to Soren, she's outside the door talking to someone when Data and... Oh, no, when Data and Geordi come, that's when that happens. But when Picard comes and there's that establishing, sweeping shot of 10 forward, she's the one that the camera follows the whole time. Like, hey, it's Tracy. That's awesome. Hmm. That's good for her. Yeah, it's very cool. That's talking about a pretty awesome, uh, steady job. Okay, on to the past, but our future. In 2293, retired Starfleet officers James T. Kirk, Montgomery Scott, and Pavel Chekhov attend the maiden voyage of the USS Enterprise B during the shakedown cruise. Captain Kirk. Yes. I'd be honored if you'd give the order to get underway. Oh, thank you very much. I... Please, sir. No, no. Please, I insist. Take us out. The Enterprise is pressed into a rescue mission to save two Elarian refugee ships that have been snared by a massive energy ribbon. The Enterprise is able to save some of the refugees. Do we catch the Star Trek uh, Code 47? No. What? I got 47 out of 150. 47 is all over Star Trek, Mom. It's able to save some of the refugees before their ship is destroyed, although one of those saved unsuccessfully pleads to return to his ship. Uh, the Enterprise becomes trapped in the ribbon. Kirk goes to the control room to help the ship escape. While the Enterprise is freed, 
Kirk is presumed dead, and after the trailing end of the ribbon hits the ship hole where he was working. Huh. So let's talk about Captain Cameron Fry. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let's start there. I think he gets a bad rap here, though, a little bit, because... Oh, no, I mean, no. Alan Ruck is always good. You, uh, you know... um. I don't know. It's a shakedown cruise and suddenly he's sent on a rescue mission. It's not his fault. He comes up with at least two ideas, right? He Mm -hmm. tries this. I I forget what they are, but he says, let's do this. We don't have it. Let's do this. We don't have it. One of them is trying to create a substate bubble around the, yeah. And then Kirk says tractor beam, and he says, we don't have it. Like, he came up with three ideas in one minute to save the ship, any one of which could have worked if he had, you know— I, you know, and, and also if you're writing him as an incompetent captain, why in the name of Starfleet is he in charge of the flagship of the Federation? Well, that, well that's why I think, uh, you know, it's, I mean, it's just, it's poor writing. Tractor beam. We don't have a tractor beam. You left space dock without a tractor beam. It won't be installed until Tuesday. Which he never mentions, and I'm sure went through his head. I mean, definitely I remembered it that way. Oh, he's he's sort of, you know. Shaky and, I mean, I mean, rewatching it, he's obviously handed a bad deal because he's got nothing that works, right? And he's got right. it's the cameras and everything, the pro, you know that it's he's gone. And he's from, got a legend. He's got the legend that is James T. Kirk on right. his bridge. And, I mean, and it's he's going from like a a publicity puff piece to saving three hundred people. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a rough one. I did note that the cameras, which are I, I think supposed to be like impossibly futuristic, definitely look like something that somebody would have now, right? That and they're all the uh, recording devices they're holding are all uh, video game consoles. <laughs> oh, are they? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I'm just like, oh God. Um, did we recognize the the no, not the helmsman, but the um, flight controller? The redhead, Glenn Marshower. He is from 24. He was the head of security for Dennis Haybert's character. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, he's been in the Transformers movies. He usually plays a military man because he's just got that commanding presence to him. Uh, we also should probably mention how wrong we were about Tim Russ. He was not on <laughs> the bridge of the Excelsior. He's totally on the bridge of the Enterprise B. But he's as a human. But he's but he's there's a flashback Voyager episode. I think there's a flashback on. Voyager episode where Tuvok and Janeway go to that moment and George Takei comes back and the bearded first officer comes back mm, no. and you know so yeah I I I like that Tim Russ you know o- almost uh Jordy LaForge himself gets a little part in this yeah well you know I bet they'll go back at some point and digitally turn him into a <laughs> just, just, just do di- the Lucas digi- effect digital ears you know oh, to make him God. I think everything you know that you're right that Harriman you know, is played a little, a little too. It's this recurring thing. Like what other captain has ever looked good in Star Trek, right? When Kirk is around. Uh, Yeah. uh, What's his face? James B. Syking as the captain of uh, the Excelsior is just like an officious prick. Right. (laughs) Um, That no, you know, I mean, I get, I guess the guy who was the captain of the Reliant isn't terrible or, or no, Terrell, no, he rap- was. Captain of the Reliant is good. I'm thinking of their captain of the Grissom. 
Yeah, he, no, he was terrible because he would always be like, Captain's prerogative, Captain's prerogative. Well, and then they're like, we found Spock. Well, I should talk to Starfleet. What happened to Captain's I don't know. I think he's doing his job and being cautious. But For once. No, Terrell, Terrell was a good captain. There's the only other good captain we've had so but, far, right? But when Kirk shows up with him, he is then brainwashed and kills himself. Like no other well, captain you know. can be, except for Spock. No other captain can be good when James T. Kirk is around. It's right. so it's really frustrating. I mean, how cool would this scene have been if instead of it, like maybe in the beginning, have him be you know the um, you know uh, med crew won't be here till Tuesday, all that stuff. Have that happen, but then slowly he and Kirk work together and make it happen. I think that's sort of what they were going for. I mean, I like the moment when Kirk decides to go instead Mm -hmm. and that it's both that Kirk knows that the captain should be on the bridge and he's not them, but also Kirk wants to go play adventure and have fun. Yeah. Instead, we just get Kirk stuck with Captain Cameron Fry. (laughs) No, I mean, he's definitely playing. He's definitely playing that type, right? The, uh, the, the minor gentry become, you know, that sort of classic, military archetype you know Mm -hmm. uh which doesn't which is gone now in a certain way but yeah oh and one other thing i forgot to mention the very important introduction of the new helms person ensign demora sulu my father's told me some interesting stories about you your father is a carl sulu yes sir oh you've met her before but she was wasn't that long ago it could have been more than 12 years sir Absolutely. Incredible. Congratulations, Ensign. It wouldn't be the Enterprise without a Sulu at the helm. And it was originally supposed to be in a first draft when they approached him. Uh, it was supposed to be George Takei. And uh, <clears throat> let me do my best George Takei. There's no reason for me to be on that bridge if I am also a captain. <laughs> like, I mean, he's, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. And. Uh, because they took away his admiralty for what he did with the Genesis planet, and he can never be an admiral again. The president of the Federation did that. That was in Star Trek uh, Four. Well, also, if he's also an admiral again, and they it detracts from that bit later where it's like he tells Picard not to ever let him drag him out of the captain's chair. You know, right? If Which you is get the sense that he's done, to him. Done, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you you belong in the chair of a uh, yeah. yeah, and. Also, um, it would have created a continuity problem if they'd done that because he was literally told you can't be an admiral ever again. And I believe they're all retired. I think this is like one of those things where military show up at a ceremony so they put on their their dress uniforms again for for poops and giggles. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Kirk is dead or presumed dead. Uh, Fun little thing about the... Excelsior model, the Excelsior class model, it's not the Excelsior. They had to add those sides to it because the stipulation of using the Excelsior model is that they didn't actually damage the model because it was still being used. You see it in Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine, you see Excelsior class ships floating around, which makes me go, if the Enterprise was 20 years old and taken out of commission, by the time we get to Deep Space Nine, those ships are 50 years old. (laughs) It's just kind of like, wait a minute, hang on. Yeah, it all gets different in, when they get uh, when you can just whip something up digitally, right? Yep. Though they did a terrible job with that in Picard. All those ships look exactly the same. 
Oh, yeah, I know the cut and paste, yeah. Oof. Uh, okay, so in 2371, the crew of the USS Enterprise D is on the holodeck computer simulation, celebrating the promotion of shipmate Worf to lieutenant command, lieutenant commander. Yeah, he was a lieutenant. Oh, right. He, he was a lieutenant. He starts as a lieutenant junior grade. Mm-hmm. He gets bumped to lieutenant when he becomes security chief. And here's where he becomes lieutenant commander. And never gets another promotion <laughs> in the rest of Star, Star Trek history. He's lieutenant commander Worf all through Deep Space Nine. Yeah. It's, I mean, and you look at Jordy. Jordy starts out lieutenant junior grade. And by season two or maybe three, he is a full commander because he is the head of engineering. I don't know if he ever became a full commander. Anyway, whatever. Bridge to Captain Picard. Got him. There's a personal message for you from Earth. Captain Picard learns that his brother and nephew have been killed in a fire and is distraught that the Picard family line will end with him. Well, that's jumping a couple scenes, but that's okay. Uh, So this ship that is the Enterprise in this scene is actually the interceptor from Pirates of the Caribbean and is a real, actual working ship. It is called, hold on, let me find. Oh, it's the same ship they used in in, in the first Pirates. Yeah, Caribbean. it's the Interceptor. Uh-huh. Uh, it's called, the. its real title is called the Lady Washington, owned by Grays Harbor Historical Society in Aberdeen, Washington. And when Troy realizes that Picard is upset and is, he says, here, take the wheel and hands it to that shipmate, that's the actual captain mm. of the ship. <laughs> Oh, that's fun. All, all of this all of this nautical on the ship stu- stuff is fun. I love that the next generation crew are such big cosplay geeks. <laughs> they're like, yeah, let's they're like, we're we're gonna have a celebration by dressing up in you But know, also I love the eighteenth century naval not gear. Just, in universe, the crew of the Enterprise D is cool with cosplay because half of them show up on the bridge in their naval uniforms and nobody's like the hell's going on? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I'll, yeah. It's so cool. Uh, they're just like, yeah, sure. The Enterprise receives a distress call from a stellar observation observatory where an Elorian, Dr. Tolian Soren, uh, launches a probe at a nearby star. Uh, once again, Wikipedia is just jumping through a whole bunch of scenes there. Yeah. That's well, okay. But to get to the plot, yeah. I mean. <laughs> but I do... I do want to talk about the scene with Picard and Troy to get to the emotional state that it needed to be for that scene. Patrick Stewart was reading the script to Jeffrey, specifically one of his last scenes in it, and was so moved he's like, "I'm ready to film," kind of kind of deal. And mm. that's where we get that. And I always thought like, "Oh, that's so out of place for Picard to break down like that." But I don't know. I no, I don't think so. I think I think it's it's a you know it's a it, the scene really works. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. Patrick Stewart is doing a phenomenal job as he always does, but it just it felt a little out of place for his hmm. character. But maybe it's just because it's it's Troy, it's a ship's counselor, so he feels like he can be vulnerable. Yeah, it's a and she's a trained psychologist who can you know who is is it she's a therapist basically yeah. and you know he he feels comfortable talking to her no i don't i don't you need a moment where he lets us in right and uh, and to do that he has to let her in but that does come much later they, they i forgot how long they my memory of it was he comes off he leaves the 
the ship thing, and then we get the scene in his ready room where we find out what happened. But they really kind of tease it out and let him, you know, be upset. Will you begin an investigation? I'll be in my ready room. Sir, make it so. I thought Just do it! Yeah, but also it felt like season one Picard with the scene with him and uh, Riker. He's very reserved, not... And I, I understood what he yeah. was going for. Inform Starfleet Command. You want me to contact Starfleet? Is there a problem? No, sir. How do we feel about Malcolm McDowell's performance in this movie? Because I feel he's quite a big ham bone in this. I mean, yeah. There's not much to the character, so I feel like he's trying to fill in a lot of gaps. (laughs) I have a pocket watch, and I'm obsessed with a Nexus. Yeah. I mean, look, McDowell's a, a terrific actor. He's a pro who brings, you know, they want him to be a great villain. They want him to be Khan or... Chang, and he's just not, but they have a Khan or Chang level actor in there, and he's trying to shine. I mean, there's really just so little to the character. He's obsessed, and we never see Soren's time in the Nexus of why he's obsessed. You know, well, that's probably for the best, isn't yeah. it? I don't want to know what he like, listen. I'm not here to kink shame, but I don't need to see that shit. <laughs> We had a little uh, technical issue. We ended up in the Nexus, and something happened with Admiral Mom's track. So we have to re-record. But as it was just brought up to me by my commander, I didn't send what was good of the log to my crew. So if we repeat ourselves or something seems wrong from what we said before, yeah, this is why. So with that said, let's jump right into... A mildly boring Star Trek movie. I don't think it was boring. Well, we'll talk about all that. All right. It's a very promising first draft that they filmed. <laughs> well, the thing the thing to me is that they had inner space in there. Some, not so much the data thing, because myself, I thought that carried on too long. But some cute little remarks that they made here and there that was so great. Sure. They continue the Star Trek The Next Generation is a workplace very much in this movie. Yeah. Wedding, good sir. Brought a tear to me. I'll be quiet. All of those lines, since we're sort of now just talking about the beginning of the movie, you know, and again, time has no meaning here. So I uh, don't remember if we talked about this in the pre-production, but... Chekhov and Scotty's lines in the prologue on the Enterprise B were written for Spock and McCoy, which is why, which is why we tend to be a lot of them. um, What's the technical space term? Breaking Jim's balls. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Which is something that neither one of those characters ever did. McCoy did, but I don't think Spock. No, no, I'm talking about Chekhov and uh, Scotty. Would like Scotty would rib him here and there, but nothing like this. This is yeah, the Scotty and Kirk banter. I mean, I think back to the you know, I, I had a wee bout of what. Shore leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very clear that that whole thing... Finding retirement a little lonely, are we? You know, I'm glad you're an engineer. With tact like that, you'd make a lousy psychiatrist. Which clearly, originally, you know, it's a good thing you're a medical doctor. <laughs> yeah, you would have right. a lousy psychiatrist. Exactly. You know, it's just... Okay, so yes, to, to finish that thought, though, the, the main thing is that uh, DeForest Kelly, in case we said this, we didn't, this didn't make the cut, it got lost in the nexus, DeForest Kelly couldn't do it because of his ailing health, and <laughs> Nimoy just flat out refused to do it because, as he put it, anyone could read this dialogue and it would still make sense, 
And, well, sadly, he is right in the most depressing way possible. It does work for me because we've spent enough time with these seven characters. Right. All that work that that the previous six films have done creating the idea of the original crew being kind of a family it doesn't bother me to have the Scotty and Chekhov. I mean, they, they don't feel out of character, especially now that they're all retired senior citizen adults, you know? Yeah, I mean, I just remember when the, the doors opened and I was just like, Scotty and Chekhov? Oh, no, it's Them? it's super obvious as a, as a person. You're like, oh, who's there? Oh, the actors who said yes. Or, yeah, the second string. Now, I know this isn't something we brought up even before the stuff that was lost in Nexus, this was not supposed to be the opening of the film. The opening of the film was supposed to be James T. Kirk parachuting to Earth. Oh, yes. And that got cut, yeah. Good. (laughs) That's so stupid. (laughs) It's so stupid. There really does seem to be a little bit of a Shatner checking off the, you know, bucket list of adventure, being like, I want to parachute, I want to... uh, I want to split some logs. I want to use my cool cabin. I want to, I want to scramble some eggs. Oh, yeah, I want to make the world's slowest cooking toast. <laughs> There's time yeah, for the wait, wait, eggs. Wait, wait, wait. We are getting way ahead of ourselves because we are still <laughs> Casey, in. time has no meaning in this place. No, we're out of the Nexus now. You don't need to go back. Are we? I don't know. I, for one, Tim- am in an oddly futuristic Victorian Christmas setting. <laughs> What was Guidance? What do you think Guidance Nexus was? Just a hat shop. <laughs> <laughs> just the largest haberdashery of all time. Yep, yep. No, she was laying in a hammock, just in a constant state of joy. Or do you think that uh, Sorens was just like all the Borg lined up and he's just kicking him one by one in their <laughs> genitals? Like, you killed my family! His doesn't seem like it would be like... Nice and calm. It feels like it would be like a rage room. Does everybody experience the Nexus differently? Yes. That's what Guinan says. Because both Kirk and and, and Picard Picard end up in the same one because... but they're that they're in a state of joy. It, well, let hang on. We'll hold on to the Nexus because right now we are in twenty two ninety three, where retired Starfleet officers James T. Kirk, Leonard McCoy. I'm sorry, Montgomery Scott, and Spot. Oh no, I'm sorry, uh, Pavel Chekhov, <laughs> uh, attending the maiden maiden voyage of the USS Enterprise. B, it's nice to see that Cameron was able to uh, become a captain of a starship after destroying his father's uh, Ferrari California. That's really nice of them. <laughs> did uh, you see Did you see how they talked him into it? He who, didn't want to do it. The actor Cameron, who played. He didn't want to do it. He said, when I, when I shave in the mirror, I don't see myself as a captain. And they explained to him that he came from money and this was just a stepping stone to be, become a politician. So really? He so he's just in it for the to be able to say, you know, when I served on the Enterprise, yeah. oh, wow, that adds a whole new layer to that character that I kind of wish, <laughs> oh, I don't know, been in the movie. Yeah, but that's it's definitely a, uh, an archetype, right? The the like sort of rich kid officer who, you know, from a holdover from the time when you bought your commissions and, and if you were oh, yeah. born to the right person, you... Um, yeah, let's give uh, his name. Obviously, he's not Cameron. Uh, his name is <laughs> his, the actor's name is Alan Ruck, uh, and the character. Yeah, do we ever? <laughs> uh, do we find out his uh, his captain? What his name is? Harriman. I don't remember that being said. Yes, and I watched this movie last night. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah, Harriman. Uh, John Harriman. John Harriman. Wait a minute. John. Harriman. Name is John Harriman. I've got it right here. 
No, isn't that isn't that what? Uh, no, Bennett, that's it's John some, Harrison. Yes. John Harrison. That's awfully close, and you know they both have very pasty Englishman faces. Well, that's what that's what happens when, despite the fact you're depicting a future and. Oh, includes the entire Earth and many, many other planets. Everybody is a white American dude of, <laughs> a, of Anglo extraction. Like, oh boy, there's a little well, they, 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 not everybody, but it does. Harriman could have been, you know, somebody more diverse. But you know what? They're, they're fixing that. We're we're slowly hmm. getting there. Up until this point of to review this movie, I always kind of took Harriman as a bumbling idiot. Like, didn't know what he was doing. He legit gives some good ideas to try and get those two ships out. Yeah, it just doesn't like, have a complete ship. Signal the closest starship. We're in no condition to mount a rescue. We don't even have a full crew aboard. I know a lot of people kind of, like, say, oh, he was an idiot. And, of course, just like in every other Star Trek movie, no one can be smarter than Kirk. Uh, <laughs> you know, Kirk comes up with the answer, but it's... <sighs> I don't know. I, I feel like everyone gave this character a bad shake up until I reviewed it. I also got a quibble with what it says here in the synopsis you're reading. Um, I don't think it's a shakedown cruise. You wouldn't have a shakedown cruise without all the equipment. It's a it's a press conference. Mm-hmm. You're tr- it's true. It and is I not think, a shakedown cruise because they don't have anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of his initial hesitancy is, I showed up today for a press conference. Mm-hmm. Right, and now I'm on a rescue mission. Um, yeah, understaffed and uh, unprepared. I also have to quibble with the description of a massive energy ribbon because a better description is a energy ribbon of vastly varying size, depending on what the filmmakers need it to do. Sure, that's <laughs> uh, well, it's the next. Sometimes man. it's, it's big enough to swallow a starship, and sometimes you have to climb up on a platform to get it. <laughs> it had a really big meal before mm-hmm. it. Uh, Went for that planet. Yeah. Uh, so the Enterprise is able to save some of the refugees. Did we catch the number? 47. And of one of the nip- ships. Uh, the, well, the other ship, nobody survived. Yeah. RIP that entire ship. 47 out of 150. Yeah. What's the, do you know the significance of 47? I don't. It shows up in Star Trek everywhere. And now that you know this, Mom, when they say it, you're going to go, oh, 47. <laughs> I don't know what the significance of it they is. They just wanted to be five more than hitchhikers. <laughs> it's like the number 40 that appears in the Bible. There's a lot of things that are 40 in the Bible. No. Oh, but we're not going to get true. into that. We're not going to get into the Bible. No. We already did our, our God episode. That was last one. Well, tell me. I, don't, I still or... don't understand 47. Where am I going to see this? Oh, just so um, I'll know to go, oh, that's a 47. They will say, like what I said with the... Uh, the fact that we're that we had the thing from Will back in Wrath of Khan, Code Forty Seven, is an actual thing that happens on Next Generation. It's a Code Forty Seven, Captain Size Only. Um, oh. This number of people, Deck Forty Seven stuff happen. You know, it's it. The number Forty Seven okay. shows up a bunch in in a uh, just a Star fun Trek. little writers room Easter eggy kind of thing. Okay, mm-hmm. all right, I'll keep an ear out. Because I'll be watching him again. It won't Especially just be with it, your I, dad. <laughs> it won't just be, yeah. It, but it won't just be uh, the movies. You'll see it in. I know it's happened on Discovery. I know it's happened on Picard. It's just it's a Star Trek thing that forty-seven is an important number. 
that should be something to throw out on a mm-hmm. podcast someplace. What is the significance of 47 in the Star Trek universe and see just how many answers would come in? Yeah. We could do that. We could tweet that out when this episode comes out because yeah. we spent a lot of time on it. But, but, um, but it has to be a wrong answers only thing. Only come up with oh, yeah. things. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I wouldn't know whether it was right or wrong. So, But I don't tweet, so. Okay. Okay. So uh, the the Enterprise B becomes trapped in the by the ribbon. So Kirk goes to the control room to to help the ship escape. Uh, Kirk gives a really weird look when he almost falls down into the bowels of the ship. It's not like a oh my god. It's like hey, who's tapping me on the shoulder? Like there are certain scenes in this movie where it feels like the actors brought their A game, not just Shatner. And there are other scenes where I'm like. Did they realize the cameras were rolling and this was a take and not a rehearsal? Some of the stuff I'm just like, this is this is what you're going to put on film? Okay. Well, I mean, I think that uh, that's that that's the film over and over. It's just it feels hastily put together and really inconsistent and the the pacing of the thing is so odd. Like, I mean, we have this prologue, but then there's sort of an endless act 1 and then rush to the end and we'll talk about this, but it just yeah yeah like I said, Act once it's a promising first draft that they filmed. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know? yes, but yeah, I agree. Act one is is like seems to go forever, and then all of a sudden it's like Act two, and now Act three. Like mm. Act two is super short. Well, they were still scouting where to shoot stuff two weeks before the movie ended. So all the Enterprise B stuff. I can't remember if this is in the prologue, but all the Enterprise B stuff was shot while uh, the Next Gen cast was shooting All Good Things, the final episode of Next Generation. And they had three days off before they started shooting again. Yeah. It was pretty much just to make the Enterprise D the lighting, a movie lighting, and to add the side stations yeah. up the ramp. thing is that this is a recurring theme in so far in the podcast, right? Is Star Trek movies being made by the seat of your pants, uh, oh my god, we've committed to a date, uh, we're cutting the budget, and sometimes you get gold, mm-hmm. right? You get, and sometimes it just falls apart. Like, it's, I'll be interested to see as we move forward and we get a much more consistent level of commitment of budget and time, especially once we switch into the Abrams world, whether we feel like the highs and lows even out. You know what I mean? Like you don't get yeah. gold anymore, but you you also don't get you know. There's like a you know, serviceable quality about everything. You know what I'm? I'll be interested in is uh, uh, the Kelvin Universe Star Trek Four, which has a release date, but the cast hasn't signed on yet. Yeah, I'll believe and it. I don't think a script has happened. I'll believe it when I'm licking artificial butter off my fingers. You know, I mean, <sighs> yeah, man, I don't think it's 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 not going to happen, but maybe it is. Well, if it, if is, it does, guess we'll, what we're going to do? We're going to dust the, <laughs> take this thing out of dry dock and run it around the universe one more time. There we go. Uh, so while the Enterprise is freed, Kirk is presumed lost in space. Hang on. That's a different franchise. Mm. And dead after trailing end of the ribbon tears open the ship's hull. Another thing, uh, this is a Excelsior-class starship for the uh, Enterprise B, and they had to add the little... Uh, Love handles, I guess we call around the uh, deflector dish to not actually damage the original model because this was still one that was being used. I mean, it's used in Deep Space Nine. It's used. It you see Excelsior classes 
everywhere because I don't know. It's a good. It's a good model, and it's a recognizable ship. But it and it kind of bridges the gap, you know. Right? It looks. It looks more futuristic than. Uh, it looks a little ahead of sort of original series and a little behind next gen. So you can kind of use it in between. But you know what? What model does that really well? Mm. The Ambassador class. Yeah. Well. The Enterprise C, and we aside from the Enterprise C. You do not get any more ambassador classes. I'm like, guys, you have this beautiful model, super recognizable, fun ship. Well, I mean, it but, just doesn't get used. Well, this gets into stuff with, that happens with the models in this ship. You know, so they, they dusted off the original um, Enterprise model, which hadn't been used for the last four seasons of the show. Right. Um, because which is it, why the last four seasons of the show, there is no saucer separation. Right, because they could do the saucer separation. But they also destroy the ship because... It's just not fit for film. No, it's it's fit for four three. It's not fit for sixteen. I mean, not just this. I think a lot of what makes this film weird is that it is today. TV looks like film. Yep. In nineteen ninety four, TV did not look like film at all, and so no. so all those sets just look they look cheap. And they, you pointed out the lighting. I mean, they kind of turned the lights almost off, and all this really like almost noir lighting of these these heavy side lights and it helps it helps hide the the chintziness of behind the sets yeah so i wonder if the enterprise c one you're talking about like that set the, if they made a model for one episode oh of yeah it's probably series, pretty crappy it might not have been as reusable as the the excelsior which was made for a film and probably just spent a lot more money and yeah. time on mom look like you want to say something so i thought i read someplace that uh the scene where they come down to the open area uh-huh. and they right. acknowledge that Kirk's dead. I thought that they they shot that toward the end of the film after they had destroyed. Uh, I, th- I that think set. it would probably been the last day of shooting. But maybe I'm wrong for uh, 2293 for the prologue stuff. That would make the most sense. I mean, because they they do some pretty heavy damage to uh, the bridge set too. That get that gets a couple explosions, some Star Trek explosions. I don't. Mm-hmm. I thought. I think. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, yeah. James Dewan plays the death of Kirk realization. Emergency force fields in place and holding. Where? Sections 20 through 28. On decks 13, 14, and 15. Bridge to Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk, please respond. Have Chekhov meet me on deck 15. He's the uh, the the original cast member who's basically handed the idea of like having to deal mm-hmm. with Kirk's death, and I think he does a great job with it. You know who also does a really nice job? Uh, well, it's the other person from the original cast, Walter Koenig. My God, was anyone in here? Hi. And his look around, and he fig- and then looks at Scotty and then figures out, yeah, oh, Kirk was here. And he's dead. Like, it's a beautiful, silent acting moment for Walter Koenig. I really, really enjoyed that. Do we have anything else we want to talk about in 2293? I like this prologue. I think it works really well. It does. It you works know, really it, well. It's fun to get the uh, the beautiful um, maroon costumes one last time. Oh, yeah. But with with or without the... Oh, they do still have the, They still have the collar. It's, it wouldn't be... An, until like they, the C era that they killed the collars. Yeah, the Enterprise C still had the the red tunics, but no collar, just like a white undershirt. Well, I thought it was very interesting how easily 
Kirk slipped back in to command of the Enterprise. Sure. Mm-hmm. There was like no hesitation. Yes, the the other Captain Harrison was was hesitating, but it, once it re, the the um, they were reversed where he was in charge, it was like immediate. First, move us within transporter range. Beam those people aboard the Enterprise. What about the gravimetric distortions? They'll tear us apart. Risk is part of the game. You want to sit in that chair. Second, turn that damn thing off. It's a good example of showing, not telling, right? So if you came to this movie not knowing who Jim Kirk was, and I, I got to imagine this movie would be it's totally baffling for somebody who hadn't seen either Star Trek. But <laughs> but let's say you had. Uh, I feel like you would, uh, you, it nicely, it's really obvious, oh, this is a seasoned and confident captain. Like, it's, yeah. it shows mm-hmm. that without mm-hmm. anybody going, it's Jim Kirk. He's one of the most seasoned and confident captains in Starfleet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, the most we get is the, uh, the reporter at the beginning, be like, how are you enjoying your retirement? Mm-hmm. You know? Like, oh, okay, we know he's not actually an acting member of Starfleet anymore. Yeah. The end. To go with what mom was saying, that's great when he's like... Where are the deflected relays? Deck 15, section 21, Alpha. Harriman says... I'll go. You have the bridge. Kirk almost sits down in the chair and then is like, wait. Your place is on the bridge of your ship. He, he still knows his place. I'll take care of it. And he knew where all those little things went, too. Yeah, that was interesting. That <laughs> <laughs> kind of convenient that uh, he knows how to work in Excelsior class. Yeah, and that was so interesting because those glowing memory sticks are such, for me, a very iconic next generation prop and set dressing. They're called isolinear chips. Uh, Yes. How dare you? You're correct. Um, (laughs) And to see Kirk manipulating them is there was a little like weird visual dissonance for me. Yeah. Yeah. I I totally agree. It, it, it was, it's like the episode relics where Scotty comes to the enterprise D and seeing him fuddle around. I'm like, you're not supposed to be touching this stuff. Go away. (laughs) Okay, so we move to 2371, and the crew of the USS Enterprise D is in the holodeck computer simulation celebrating the promotion of shipmate Worf to lieutenant commander with a fun little, like, what the hell is going on in the beginning of this? Like, they, they're doing it like he's a prisoner, and he's reading the charges. One, that he did knowingly and willfully perform above and beyond the call of duty on countless occasions. Two, most seriously, that he has earned the admiration and respect of the entire crew. And it kind of makes me go, did everyone have to do this? Like, when Deanna became a commander in season seven, did she have to do this crap? They probably did something else. They're just a bunch of cosplay nerds. Like, I just love really like, any excuse to dress up in a new, in a funny costume. Like, the Next Generation crew are just... Um, I love it. To the point where when they go to the bridge, there's literally a bridge officer whose job it is to take Data's sword because he can't sit down oh, yeah. at his station with it. He just and hands just, the sword. She just keeps going. <laughs> what do we think some of the other insane holodeck props that guy has been randomly handed by Data? <sighs> Who was he Cane, Cupid. So say a live snake. Uh, no, just in episodes we never saw, right? You know. Oh, 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 oh. Um, just a, I mean, an apple pie for no, you know, just. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, the Enterprise D crew really love their cosplay holodeck stuff. <laughs> or did the writers? <laughs> well, yeah, well, I'm yeah. sure the well, writers really enjoyed it. Well, and they loved having that beautiful ship to film on. 
which that ship is the interceptor from the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it is a famous ship that's used in a bunch of stuff. That ship has a, a pretty solid film career, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I believe it also may be in Master and Commander. Not as the main ship, but I think it's it's there. Oh, yeah, it's way smaller than the main ship of Master Commander. Uh, when Deanna has to go in a second, I just want to say it here, but uh, when Deanna realized something's wrong with Picard. Here, take the wheel. That's the owner of the ship. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> oh, they got him some screen time. That's sweet. Yeah, there's this weird, like, uh, gotta catch your hat off the uh, plank. And, you know, in true Will Riker fashion. Computer! Remove the plank! And I love the effect of everything coming out from underneath Worf. Like, you get that shot of, like, his torso to knee, and you really see the weight just go, like, it's a really cool effect. I want to know how they did it. Oh, removing it, yeah. Just having his whole body go, whoop, with nothing underneath him. Number one, that's retract plank, not remove plank. Of course, sir. So Data doesn't understand the joke because he's Data. Doesn't understand why it's funny. You've got to get into the spirit of things. Learn to be spontaneous. Live in the moment. Do something unexpected. Get it? Good. So, of course, he pushes Beverly in the water. So why isn't it funny when he pushes Beverly in the water? It's weird because it's the... the <laughs> the crew is the like crew he is murdered so her. horrified. But we're <laughs> supposed to laugh. So isn't it funny? It almost feels like it's Brent Spiner going, that was not funny. Like, it's not It's not data. It's like, I don't understand. This guy just, you know, is it because Will is known as, a, as like, the trickster of the uh, of the Enterprise D? And so they're just like, oh, that silly Will Riker. But data, like, don't piss off the murder bot. He could kill you all without even computing one nanosecond. They never discuss this. And there's a moment coming up in a minute where he and Jordy decide to do something like, go talk to the captain. Oh, yes. (laughs) Stop. Full stop right now. Back up for a second. Talking about the ship. It's a replica of the first ship from America that visited Japan. Oh. Really? That's yes. very cool. The Lady Washington. The Lady Washington. Yep. I, I I couldn't think of the name. Thank you. Yeah. I didn't know it was the first uh, American ship She's, to visit Japan. That's She rad. was a full-scale replica of the first American sailing ship to visit Japan. Interesting. Picard and, and Will are looking out on the, on the beautiful sea. Just imagine what it was like. No engines, no computers, just the wind and the sea and the stars to guide you. Bad food, brutal discipline. And then we are reminded that Will's a giant horn dog. No women. <laughs> <laughs> Picard gets a uh, incoming message, and he has learned that his nephew and brother have been killed in a fire. Which uh, Sir Pat Stu handles that beautifully. Yeah, I mean, it's a you know something's up. Yeah, because it's a face you never see Picard make. Like the look he gives, you're like, uh-oh, what? There's something very bad happened. Now, here in the wiki review, it says, uh, and is distraught that the Picard family line will end with him. Is he distraught or is he on the verge of a breakdown? Like when he snaps at Will on the bridge. Number one. Will you begin an investigation? I'll be in my ready room. Sir, make it so. I thought you Just do it! They only show the close-up of Will reacting to it. I wish we'd gotten the whole bridge. Because you know the whole bridge was like, did 
can I just yell at Riker? That hasn't happened since uh, Ambassador Sarek was on the ship. <laughs> the Enterprise receives a, res- a distress call from a stellar observatory where an Alorian, Dr. Tolian Soren, played by Malcolm McDowell, the uh, uncle to Alexander Siddig from Deep Space Nine, mm. Dr. Bashir. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, aren't you uh, just smart? Now I just know how to research stuff. <laughs> Uh, so, though this jumps way ahead into the story. So, let's talk about Soren. What is Soren's motivation? The Borg killed his family? Well, no. Get get back in. So, he's a dope fiend? I mean, again, I think a stronger movie, he would be played more like an addict, trying to get a fix. It should read more like that. Instead, he says totally cryptic non sequiturs like... They say time is the fire in which we burn. Because they think it'll sound good in a trailer. It just It's like out of nowhere. I mean, McDowell is an excellent actor who's doing everything he can with it. There's no bad acting in this. In fact, the acting and the affection for these characters is what saves the movie. But the, sure. the script, which is by good writers, it's Brandon Braga and Ron Moore. And you know Ron Moore wrote Time is the Fire in Which We All Burn, and he just was like, control, save, guys, I'm going home. I've written the best line in the film. Good night. And then they never wrote a conversation to get him to say that. I don't think the movie ever really clearly explains why Soren wants to get back. And they leave it up to the audience to make their own decision. Well, they, but like, yeah, go ahead. What is that? Not just why he wants to get back. What made him turn to committing mm-hmm. genocide to make it happen? Mm-hmm. And it, like, you got to imagine. I we were joking before that he's just kicking all the uh, the Borg in his in their rep- reproductive organs. But it's probably he he watched like Picard. He's with his family again, right? Make that part of the story. Like yep. Picard tries to plead with him later in that, and it's just kind of washed over. Like, yeah, I mean, man, they it's... they tell they tell you why they say. Uh, I think it's Guyton who says he would do anything to get back there. But that's it. They but just why? Right, yeah, because because right. it, it's pure joy. They tell you it's it's a, it's a perfectly logical explanation. But like I was saying before, showing works better if you showed us. A person who's desperate. If you showed us something about mm-hmm. how it affected him, you know, and what what it was like for him in there, instead they just like, okay, here he wants that. We've 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 established that. Moving on to him, you know, looking cool and blowing stuff up. Would it have helped at all if we had actually seen Saren's time in the Nexus? I think so. Like when Guyna is like, he's here in the Nexus too. When Picard's in it, and like done a little hand wave and we get like a portal that shows us his what? or something. He's you in know? one of those Christmas balls. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a version of this film that works better where we get to the Nexus a lot earlier, right? Yeah. And then we do spend time in there and we, we see maybe there's even a scene where, you know, so what we're jumping ahead, but eventually Picard jumps down to try and, you know, beams out to try to convince Soren to to uh, lead, to to not do this terrible thing to not blow right. up the Viridian Star. What if there's a version where he's in the Nexus and he do, and he does find Soren in Soren's version of the Nexus and he explains to Soren and we meet a Soren who is a a kind and loving scientist and father and is aghast and says, "Of course, oh my God, I would never do that." 
but it doesn't do you any good because that's not the Soren you have to stop. He has to leave the Nexus. And, you know, I mean, there's just, there's, I feel like the movie is over by the time we get to the inside there. Sure. And so it has no oomph. It's just, it's a happy place. You scramble some eggs, you open some Christmas presents. We're all good. We're going to get back to where we are actually in the film. But when we get to the Nexus, this watch last night, I was like, the toys that they're given, it's, I'll, I'll save it for when we get there. Oh, uh, go back to the go back to the bar scene where he makes. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Let's let's talk about, about ten forward. All the times that I've watched was which when I watched it not last night but the night before last was probably the fifth time I've seen it. <laughs> okay. I never noticed that Soren pulls out a pocket watch because Malcolm McDowell really wanted to wear a pocket watch. You think that's why? Ah, it's got it. There's no, there's no reason. I'm trying to remember. I think he spends an awful lot of time looking at a pocket watch in a very good film, uh, time after time, time after time, time, directed by Nicholas well, Meyer. He, he does it uh, twice in this film. He does it, I think he does watch. it more than twice. I mean, I think he. The idea is that he has, he has to launch this probe at exactly this time. So he's constantly his whole, you know. He's always so looking instead at of what looking time. at his Apple Watch. He's looking right. At the yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, clearly, Saren's a Android guy. He doesn't kill data, so mm. that was a bad joke. Sorry. Uh, so, um, also speaking of data, uh, because of what happened on the holodeck, Data has the good idea of putting his emotion chip in. I am unable to grasp such a basic concept as humor. Because it works so well for you during Descent when Lore put it back in you. You know, you did really well with it then. It just feels like maybe you should wait till this star-destroying crisis is over. Or I guess, no, the star-destroying crisis hasn't happened yet. But you should just wait till you're not, like, going after a distress signal. Presumably, after that, you're going to go catalog some gaseous anomalies for a month. Well, perfect time. Perfect time. Or take a, take a little leave of absence. Yeah, But you're right. You're, so you'd probably tell his commanding officer he's about to completely overhaul his personality. Yep. We have seen on the show, Data can mimic anyone's voice. He can break into the Enterprise computer, no problem. What if it turns him into lore this time? You know, what if it makes him have less of a moral compass? It just, it was just stupid on every level. And I wish there had been some reference to Jean-Luc. thought you were worried about it overloading your neural net. That is true. If Jordy had been like, I don't know if the captain's going to be happy about this. Something, you know. Yeah. Look, we could cinema sins and nitpick this thing to death. I mean, they, yes, they, we could. They, yeah, we could. It's that's no fun. But it's it's they want to get us to this. And and they, there's this line in the the scene where, however, I believe my growth as an artificial life form has reached an impasse. There's almost a subtext there of Brent Spiner, the actor, being like, "This is it, guys. Seven seasons." Without without emotions, there's only so much we can do. You got to give me something else now. We've locked Lore up at Starfleet headquarters, so I, I can't play him anymore. I can't have fun in that sandbox. I'm not. I don't want to say the real the real issue here is the idea of Data puts in an emotion chip in the first Next Generation movie. Fine, I can buy into that. That's a great idea. The execution gets just a little much for me. That he well, seems was, like he's constantly drunk the entire rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> there were several requests that they had wanted 
they they figured that having the original cast in the in the the film was a good way to pass the baton is what mm-hmm. they said. The studio wanted the original cast to only appear in the first minutes and Kirk only recurring at the end of the film, which is basically what happened. Yep. Other re- requests included a Kanyuan Singh like antagonist, Klingons, and a humorous data plot. Yep. So these are the notes from Rick Berman. That's the only thing that they could come up with was that because. There's not much you can do with an android that doesn't have any feelings without him having some form of emotions. Yeah, but I think there could have been other feelings. I mean, so Picard is dealing with incredible grief here, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I just feel mm-hmm. like you could have tied that A and B plot together and had other emotions. I mean, he has other emotions. He gets angry at Picard. He, he gets, gets scared. He gets scared. But like Casey says, it's like whenever he's not actively angry or scared, he seems like he's high. Just- love scanning for life forms life forms oh you tiny little life forms you precious little life forms where are you i think the life form song is where it just that's that's the breaking point for me so here's the fun thing about the life forms thing a complete ad lib by brent spiner oh yeah clearly everyone's reaction is 100% genuine. Oh, really? Yes. He oh, was just about cool. to say, I just love uh, searching for life forms. And that was the end of it. And and, and kind of that Riker look like, okay, whatever data. And then, because if you watch, like Jonathan Frakes, not Will Riker, Jonathan Frakes is to his next mark and kind of turns around like, Brett, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad they let it go because I thought it was good. You are in the small minority. Yeah, that's that. That. Oh, I liked it. You know what it is? Sorry. No, that's fine. I think from a story perspective, for me, what the problem is is we we kind of have data. Data is suddenly find humor. Data is annoying Jordy with his humor. Data is annoying uh-huh. the audience with his humor. Data is <laughs> yeah. now, data is now being unprofessional in an important situation with his humor, and then that's what lets us know something's gone wrong. He starts glitching. You get that weird face thing. and Oh, the weird face thing. So we, we have set up this notion that Data being unable to control the humor is, is a bad sign. And then we go through the fear and the anger and the recrimination over leaving Jordy. And then Jordy helps him feel better. And then suddenly he's back to being inappropriately humorous on duty. And you're sort of like, oh, but now... That thing that was a was the big red flag that something's going wrong before is now a comic beat. And I just don't yeah. think it knows what to do with that. Yeah. I don't know. It's just Again, it's a it's a good first draft that like it just yeah, needed, yeah. I think needed <laughs> a lot more refining. There there are lots, there's like no ideas in here. Like I was saying before, there's no ideas here that are bad. Data no. The the idea somebody says to me, well, so in this next generation movie, Data is going to put an emotion chip. One of the first things that's going to happen is he's going to suddenly be laughing uncontrollably because he got a joke from seven years ago. The clown can stay, but the Ferengi in the gorilla suit has to go. Yeah, I want to see that. <laughs> Honestly, the the before that when he drinks the terrible drink in, oh, in right, Ten Forward, that. that's funny. That's great. Yeah, that you know, I like that. Um, well, it looks like he hates it. Yes. That is it. I hate this. It is revolting. More? 
Please. Actually, the bean was down with me while I was watching this part because uh, I'm thinking like this would be a cool art audio for TikTok because the bean loves her TikTok. Did she like it? Did she sit down and watch? Yeah, she smiled. She she was like, oh, that was funny. She sat down like, and watched oh. the rest of the movie and is obsessively in love with Star Trek now. Uh, not so much. I I actually lost her with the uh, morphing of Data's face. I was like, hey, because she was she was in her phone. She was half watching. I just wanted her to hang out with me. And uh, I'm like, hey, Bean, uh, check this out. And the face morphs. She goes, oh, that was scary and unnecessary. I'm like, <laughs> accurate description of that. Just let the actor do it. I would say half accurate. I wasn't scared, but it wasn't necessary. Well, if you're 12 and it's the first well, time you're that. seeing it, I bet you it could be. I, You know what? I was 12 when the 13 when this movie came out. So. Were you really? Oh, my God. 94. So, yeah. yeah oh, please. <laughs> I was 13, so I, and I remember I remember us all going to the theater to see this, and I remember that happening to his face, and I was like, what's happening? This is it's so strange that I never, ever thought that anything like that would bother you guys. It didn't bother me. It, it's not like a jump scare in a horror film, but it was, it was unsettling to see because we were at the beginning stages of CG. Like, now I know, oh, they just took the markers... And went like this to Brent Spiner's face. You know, they just moved him around. But in 94, it was like, what's happening to Brent Spiner's face? But, you know, this is, we've definitely, as generationally, I think Casey and I and all the other uh, late to mid-gen Xers have discussed, like, how much stuff we would never have shown our kids we saw at a much earlier age. And well, yes, the 80s because were I was, was a terrible there. mom. No, 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 no. You were a mom in the 80s. It was everybody. I'm saying generationally. It's not Casey and I. It's like everybody our age. We're like, oh, my God. You know, I think by the time I'd, I was uh, the Woog's age, I had seen uh, Star Wars. We haven't shown, I haven't mm-hmm. shown him any Star Wars People getting their hands cut off and all that, you know. He's going to love it. <laughs> yeah, but when, for me... It, when did Star Wars come out? 77, I, 80, and 83. There you go. I know that because that is the technically the part of the generation that I'm a part of, the Zennials. And the main way, the first line is like, are you a Gen X or are you a millennial? Well, there's a new grouping, Zennial. The Zennias? <laughs> no, not the Zennias. Uh, but the first line of it says, think of the dates of the original Star Wars trilogy. I was like, you sign, seal, delivered. That is me. Zinnias? Hmm. God damn it. Zinnias? Oh. <clears throat> One of my favorite flowers. There we go. So, they're on the Stellar Observatory. <laughs> the terrible, I'm just laughing uh, at how we don't want to talk about this movie. Uh, <laughs> we just talked about zinnias for like 30 seconds as you said data finally gets the joke from the farpoint mission they're futzing around with stuff how are they still using mark for torpedoes that is the production level that shot spock into space how are we still using them almost a hundred years later there it is in a nutshell right for me on this movie is that you want to reuse a torpedo prop? Great. I get that that's probably expensive. You could repaint it. It's a line to make it the Mark VI. Yeah. It's really not that hard. And I think I think that that's, you know, there's cutting costs and then there's not paying attention to detail. You know, I think uh-huh. you can make something great by by being creative and paying, paying attention to detail and still cut a lot of costs. But if mm-hmm. you just rushed and and 
that, oh, good enough, good enough, then you wind up with this movie. Yeah, I mean, this this is all the Rick Berman of it all. I mean, the fact that it, it says at the beginning, a Rick Berman production. You're just like, okay, yeah, we get it. You're Rick Berman, Yahoo. So you've given up on Rick Berman coming on our podcast is what you're saying. I don't want him on here. Yeah, but one thing that they did, not, it's, I'm, this is probably way out of place, but I just saw it in my notes. I mm-hmm. love Go the ahead. idea that Picard had an old-fashioned photo album. Yes. I just thought that was so nice. Uh, has that happened? Oh, that already that already yeah, happened. Because that's when he breaks man, down. This, Wikipedia, yeah. get your shit together. <laughs> you can't skip the best scene in the film. Yeah. It is a good scene. Yeah. It's about, you know, watching it last night, you know, uh, a joke from, well, I'm sure a lot of Star Trek fans have said it, but The Greatest Generation says it, that for most of Next Generation, Beverly Crusher and Deanna Troy are potted plants. Like, they don't do a whole lot unless it's like their solo episode where Deanna has a child, you know, or, you know, Beverly has sex with a candle. Um, what? Oh, yeah. Oh, Sub Rosa oh, yeah. season Sub seven. Rosa, it's terrible. May, maybe the nadir of the ser- the series. Well, no, sorry, that's Code of Honor, but there it's a bad Ooh. it's a it's a bad episode. Co- Code of Honor needs to be erased from Star Trek because it is oh, just like the most racist thing of all time. It's pretty racist, uh, yeah. Like it's Song of the South racist. <laughs> no, there's an episode in season seven where Ghost that had previously romanced her grandmother or great great grandmother yeah. who is trapped. In a candle, has an affair. It's it's rough stuff. It's like and it's all like a gothic ghost romance for some. Reason. And it's directed by Patrick Stewart. Oh, is it really? <laughs> I'm like Sir Pat Stu, what are you doing? Mm. This is not the episode for you to direct. I did not know. That. I think this is that, that's where the no the ship in the bottle joke is when he's off to do uh, Christmas Carol. Uh, I just love when they had to write Picard, you know, the captain of the damn ship off the show for a couple episodes while he did other projects. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about this scene. Uh, this is my favorite scene in the film. This was, uh, she comes in. Yes, Counselor. Is there something I can do for you? Actually, I'm here to see if there's anything I can do for you. Oh, it's just family matters. Expecting her to be like, oh, okay, and leave. She says nothing, but he opens, like you see the counselor. Mm-hmm. And the psychiatrist in Troy, like, if I just stay quiet, you're going to say more. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to move forward with this. And I don't have to coax it out of you. It's a really great scene for both those actors. She gets to actually be a working therapist, right? And no offense to Rena Sirtis. I think she is uh, was underutilized on the show. She's a good actor. And she does a really nice job with this scene. What's happened? Robert and Renee there. Burned to death in a fire. I'm sorry. It's all right. It's all right. These things happen. Captain, it's not all right. You got to deal with this. You can't shove this and compartmentalize it. It was, you know, words that we weren't comfortable using in 94 in mainstream stuff. But this is stuff that their therapists would say to their patients. Yeah, it feels like genuine therapy, not just a... Uh, heart-to-heart between television characters. You know, the couple times that we saw Troy in in session on the show played for laughs. Right. Like, oh, look at this crazy crew member. You know, it's a real beautiful, 
wonderful moment between two. I mean, we, we know Patrick Stewart's a, a phenomenal actor. There's no arguing that. But this is the first time I think we get to really see Marina Sirtis show off her acting chops. And I, I just I, I love it. I, there's nothing, nothing better in the film for me than this scene. Was, okay. was this scene before or after he met up with Soren in, in the bar? It's, it's after because it ends with him looking out the window and seeing the Amargosa star being destroyed. Yeah. I think I had a question about this. I, I remember asking it before we went into the Nexus. Does Soren's race have the ability to make people change their mind? No. Well, what? He's not an empath, but he has some sort of power, doesn't well, he? He says he's a race. He mentions they're a race of listeners, and Guinan, which is something Guinan, that Guinan, Guinan has is said. the same yeah. species, right? And so, um, but it's, a, it's mystic- all very vague, right? Well, you know, interesting. I, a thing I came across is that I had not known before was there was apparently a line either cut from the script or, or filmed and then cut that explained that Guinan's ability to sense when things were wrong like with a timeline like in uh yesterday's enterprise yeah it's not because she's Elorian, it's because she's been in the nexus oh i like that you know they've always kind of mystified Guinan. i mean remember the episode i think it's it might be is it IQ is the one the first episode with the Borg, but that's the first time that Q and Guinan meet, and Guinan like puts her hands up and like a I'm gonna shoot lightning bolts. And Q is genuinely terrified yeah. in that moment. Like it's Q who the hell's up Q who yeah. that's what it is. And that's the first appearance of the Borg. Yes. But it's just like Guinan lived in San Francisco. We see her in is it Times Arrow? You know, you just she's got this really funky side to her and i'm wondering if part of that stuff is the nexus is that because she was in the nexus therefore she could yeah i mean i think i think mom to, to go back to mom's question i think the the abilities of elorians are sort of well whatever we kind of need for the scene you know <laughs> but, it, well, the, but he looked directly into john luke's eyes yeah and and made that speech about time and fire and all that and it seemed that picard changed his mind from going very rigid you will not go down to well we'll see what we can do yeah i think the the comment about fire is what sets him off but i think i think you're talking about them that they have this extraordinary ability to listen that it's almost like uh when when like psychics cold read someone because of course psychic psychic powers aren't real in the real world um you know what yeah I know. Oh. I do. We can digress on that. You'd have known that if you were psychic. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. So the, you know they, but they, the, the extraordinary level of sort of perceptiveness about what people are thinking and feeling and their backgrounds and the, you know, um, and and I think that some of that is maybe at play, right? That he, yeah, he can listen on a level that allows him to understand that Picard is vulnerable to. Um, ideas of mortality and things like that. He gets lucky saying the word fire. Yeah, because but, you Picard's know, family had just died in a fire. But we don't know that as, a, as an audience. But that's where it just sort of bleeds into... Well, that's why I was wondering if, if he was able to to delve into his... He can't, he can't mind read, but he can sense and see things that are going on in, the, in their minds, and that's why he did that. And maybe, you know, he's been in the Nexus, too, so maybe... Yeah. Maybe that's part of it. 
A brand new app is sweeping the globe. It allows you to see dreams from millions of anonymous users. But what do you do when the dreams you see are of your imminent murder? This is the premise for the brand new short film from the crew of the Never Heard of It podcast, and we're seeking your help now to fund our project. Head to Indiegogo.com and search for Somnium Film and contribute what you can. We promise to make a chilling sci-fi film you'll want to watch over and over to uncover all of its secrets. Again, Indiegogo.com and search for Somnium Film. Help us make this movie. It's so interesting. I feel like we haven't gotten very far into this movie, (laughs) and yet by running time, we kind of have, which just goes to show how weird and herky-jerky the plotting is. Well, some fun stuff's about to happen. Oh, yeah. Because, like you said, the Amagosa star blows up. I love that the explosion happens. They're on the bridge, and the, the chief engineer or the chief transport officer is like, Transporter room to bridge. I can't locate Commander LaForge or Mr. Data, sir. Just in case anyone was wondering, <laughs> because um, I have yeah. nothing to do here. I'm so alone. <laughs> like, it's so weird that he's just like, by the way. Uh, in case you guys were planning on leaving. They come back to the ship. No, sir. They are not on board. How long before the shockwave hits the observatory? Four minutes, 40 seconds. Number one. Mr. Worf. Aye, sir. Oh, I completely forgot. When they first go to this and f- go to, to uh, find Saren, when they find out that it's type 3 disruptor blast uh, that's making the marks, and then Riker goes, That narrows it down to Romulan, Breen, and Klingon. And like the venom he has in his voice, I wanted Worf to be like, hey, man, that hurts. I'm right here. Yeah, I did Look notice that. Up. I wondered why why it didn't it build to Romulans, which would, of course, probably be the worst situation. Well, we're had the Dominion War started. No, 94. No, Deep Space Nine just started, right? No, the next uh, one was uh, Voyager. No, Deep Space Nine, then Voyager. Yeah, there's no, there's no Dominion War at this point, no. Because the Breen play a big part in the Dominion War, Mom, you'll get to it, um, and that would create a lot of venom in his voice. Uh, I guess that's true. Um, how How is, uh, are you still watching Deep Space Nine? No, the Yankees are happening. <laughs> mm. Sorry. I mentioned, I mentioned that there is baseball. Yes, there is. I Take know, me out but to the it's Hollis not suite. the Yankees, and they're making a comeback. No, they're the, they're the, are they the Niners? I think that's the name of their team. The, the Niners. Niners. Yeah. <laughs> so great. It's such a great episode. In the middle of this huge, depressing Dominion War, they're like, let's do a stupid holodeck baseball episode. I love it. Uh, while this is all happening, who shows up? The Dura sisters. <laughs> of course. Of course. It, and I loved uh, whoever's up in tactical. A Klingon bird of prey is decloaking off the port bow. What? <laughs> it's so good. Like, I don't need this shit right now. <laughs> How weird is it that, like, basically the only character other than the big seven to make it into the movies from Next Generation is Lursa and Bator? You know? <laughs> yeah. Like well, the Dora all... sisters? It's, I mean, <laughs> them? <laughs> really? <laughs> nope. Not Q, not Vosh, not... Barkley. Oh, well, Barkley well, is in the next one. Barkley's going to, yeah, Barkley shows up in the next one. Well, I mean, we got Tracy Coco, which uh, is, I know that's in the preamble. The woman who was the stunt person and all the stuff. Oh, she's yeah. the, uh, yeah. Oh, you know who I, I recognized 
in this, speaking of just random people who are in this movie, my, that seems to be the topic. Uh, sure. Brian Thompson is in this movie. Brian Thompson. Oh, he's been in a million things. He was he was the alien bounty hunter on the X Files. It's the thing he's best known for. Oh, he's, he's the Klingon. That, yes, he's, yes, he's, yes. The, the, he's Lars Bator's like uh, navigator or, or helmsman. Uh, yeah. And uh, Jeanette Goldstein is in this movie. Vasquez from Aliens. Oh yeah, she's on the Enterprise. She's on B, the Enterprise yes. B. Not, yeah, she sure not is. in brown face, so you don't recognize her from Aliens. That's good, yes. I remember a couple of years ago, there's a podcast called uh, I Was There Too, and they talked to her. They yeah. talked to that actor. And she's like, yeah, I kept getting all these parts to play Puerto Ricans, and I'd show up white, and they'd be like, well, you're not Puerto Rican. And I wanted, if I had been the podcast interviewer, I would have been like, hmm. And you didn't find a problem with it. <laughs> like, this wasn't an issue. That's incredibly messed up. <laughs> that in In, you know... When did Aliens come out? 91? 1986. No, really? It's that far? Yeah. Well, it's not that far. But 1986, they were still doing brownface in mainstream movies. Yikes. Well, after that, they were, unfortunately. Uh, that's true. Uh, well, that's true. Short circuit. Oof. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Durash sisters show up. They uh, transport Sauron and... Um, Jordy. Jordy. The unconscious Jordy. They get everybody back. Now, here's one of those times... The way when when the Enterprise warps away, when Picard stands up and is like, "Help warp one, engage." It feels like it was dress rehearsal. Yeah, like there's almost this little smile on uh, Stewart's face. Like I got, I can't believe I'm still saying. Yeah, this no, crap. and pointing, like, you know, yeah. stepping oh, really? off the chair I, and pointing. That was so sophomoric. It, it it did not feel it did not feel like a, an actual take. I I think it's trying to make an action sequence out of yeah well we'll get we'll get to the action uh next gen movie in the next one and right and i love all of it i mean this is the this is like the first one that opens with a proper action sequence the first of any Mm -hmm. of these movies that opens with anything you know like an action sequence and then it closes with an action sequence that is three men over 50 fighting who, who one of the three uh, had time to trim their beard. Um, I have some oh, comments yeah, on that when we get to it. Well, oh, okay. Well, well let, let's get to that because well, wait a the minute. Next I've, thing, got, I've still the, got a question. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Go right ahead. When they do the saucer, mm-hmm. when they separate and they have all these kids, is that the first time we've ever seen children? Okay. First you have jumped to the end of the film. Uh, no, no, not really. no, she hasn't. That's, when they separate again, this film is weird. The, remember, the separation and the crash happens before Picard goes into the Nexus. Before this, she it's next, basically. Well, the next thing is Guinan explains it, but yeah, okay, uh, yes, we have seen children on the Enterprise, but as is mentioned in, I believe, Encounter at Farpoint, children are not allowed on the bridge. The Galaxy class starship Enterprise has civilians aboard, unlike. The Enterprises A, B, and C. Why suddenly on D do they have civilians on board? Because Gene Roddenberry? I don't know. Uh, It's never made sense to me. Because it made sense because how would they have done that teddy bear scene? Yeah, the teddy bear scene. It's a little underlined. (laughs) I mean, I remember that there are children and and families on the... um, I mean, I think the idea is that if you're going to be out for years on end that you don't you don't only want people who are either willing to leave behind their families or not interested in having families. That sort of self-selects for a type of personality that maybe you don't want to only stock your ship with. But sure, 
but well, and you know, my, uh, Miles O'Brien. Right. I mean, he had a family, and yeah. you know, but Keiko. But it is especially watching this in sequence with the original cast films, where it, where a certain sort of we're on a military vessel. And there would never be families thing is even higher amped up than it would have been on, like, say, the original series. It's sure. it was those saucer separation scenes were so say that the right times fast. Um, nope. The saucer separation scenes were so jarring. Yeah, to see those kids and all that, you're like, oh my god, right, right, kids, and we we can get to the saucer sex- separation because I have the thoughts, feelings, and concerns about it. Uh, yeah. So Guinan tells Picard about the the Nexus. Um, and the captain's log in the middle of this movie is like, we have no real way to do this transition to this stellar cartography scene. Oh, right. So let's just have Patrick Stewart say some crap. Like, it's the weirdest thing. Dr. Crusher has informed me that Data's emotion chip has been fused into his neural net and cannot be removed. However, she believes he is fit for duty, so I've asked him to join me in stellar cartography. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. This is a nice scene between uh, Stuart and uh, Spiner. Uh, I think it's a great scene, yeah. I wish to be deactivated until Dr. Crusher can remove the emotion chip. Are you having some kind of malfunction? No, sir. I simply do not have the ability to control these emotions. Data, I, I have nothing but sympathy for what you are feeling. But right now, I need you to... Sir, I no longer want these emotions. Deactivating me is the only viable solution. Part of having feelings... Is learning to integrate them into your life, Data. Learning to live with them. No matter Sir, what the circumstances, you will not be deactivated. Jeez, I can't remember if we talked about it in the beginning, but um, but in the pre-Nexus, but uh, I'll say it again. They wore the Deep Space Nine uniforms, but the only people who got new ones were, were Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner. Frakes wore Avery Brooks's, because that makes sense. And he had to roll up the sleeves. Right. How much how much would it have cost to, to let that down? Like how how much would it have cost to bring that down to his level? To have him not have to roll them up because they were too short. So stupid. And LeVar Burton is wearing um O'Brien's. I can't think of the actor's name. Uh yo, uh Call me. Call me. Yeah. It, and it did. It was too big for him. It didn't fit well sure. at all. Well, because LeVar Burton is a svelte man and uh, Colmini is a big Irish dude, so it kind of doesn't work. <laughs> you know, the thing is, I wonder if the thing they didn't have to spend wasn't money, but time. You know, it's just everything felt felt so rushed on this. You know, well, because what we talked about it during the pre Nexus, but there were other uniforms that were supposed to be introduced, and I again. Watching this this time, with that in the back of my head again, these new uniforms would have had a fold-down flap, just like the red tunic. So it would have just added a layer of passing the baton. What was what scrapped the new uniforms? I forget. Rick Berman scrapped them. When, just on a, on a budget? Uh, sure. I mean, that's it, what he says it was, but I've never liked these Deep Space Nine uniforms. I think... I think they work fine on, on Deep Space Nine, I, but... They're they're all right. They're not Star Trek the motion picture uniforms, but they're 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 pretty damn close. They just don't feel like a uniform. They feel like uh, pajamas. I don't know. They just <laughs> something about them just has never sat right with me visually. Um. So 
Uh, there is a deleted torture scene for one Mr. LaForge yep. that you get dialogue of. Did you get anything from the human? No. His heart just wasn't in it. That is uh, the fact that he had a, a nanoprobe put on his heart, and when Jordy wouldn't answer a question, he would stop his heart. I imagine it got cut to keep a PG-13 rating on this thing. This is back when you couldn't get away with that kind of stuff. <laughs> Instead, you just you just get a scene between the two of them where, for no explained reason, uh, LeVar Burton is not wearing a shirt. <laughs> and has those weird-ass eyes. <laughs> Hey, he's blind. Careful. Well, he, I know, but... Pat, he had lobbied for years for find something to get that visor off his face. Because, of course, it, even eyes with contacts are able to be more expressive than that blocking across. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is the last we will see of the visor. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, yeah. And then when Jordy's back on the Enterprise and the Dura sisters are listening in because they've bugged his visor... It's a myocardial degeneration. I've removed the nanoprobe, and I think you're going to be fine. That's the only two things you get that something really bad happened over on that bird of prey to poor Jordy LaForge. Yeah. Uh, so there's this funny bit where um, they're just watching Jordy walk through the Enterprise. He must be the only engineer in Starfleet who doesn't go to engineering. They end up in engineering, and they come in on a frame of the shield harmonic readoff. The shields are operating on a modulation of 257.4. And they harmonize their torpedoes to be at the same uh, level. It pierces the shield. The Enterprise gets the crap kicked out of it. They fire three shots before really the Enterprise even knows what's going on. It's really brutal. What do we make of this this way to for them to get through the shields? Is it does it strain credulity that such an important piece of information would just be laying around, you know, in the middle of engineering? Like, you know what I mean? Why is that prominently displayed in a world where micro drones and whatever else, you know, and mind visitors. control and yeah, you visit yeah, tour from the kindergarten class on deck twelve, you know, like and a simple fix would have been like, hey, we've got this Klingon bird of prey we're standing off against. Why don't we adjust our shield harmonics, and then well, they see it? Like, Jesus, there's so many ways to just make this. I know it was because they needed to blow up the Enterprise D. Right. But some more dialogue really would have helped us and had us not having this conversation. What it really boils down to is they needed to have a, a ship they've established as being old and, and outclassed kick the Enterprise's ass. And they did, oh, this bird of prey can fire when cloaked last movie. So they just <laughs> didn't come up with another one. Again, it's another like we, okay. We need this story beat. We need this to happen. Okay, we'll figure out what it is later. Oh, you filmed that? Okay, well. Oh, you already have the footage of the bird of prey blowing up that we're going to use again? Right. It's the exact same footage from Undiscovered Country. And, like, there are nerds out there that use the headcanon of, well, they hit it pretty much in the same spot. And that's why uh, it blows up that way because the blah, blah, blah. I mean, even... I, I believe even the photon that comes at the bird of prey is from um, Undiscovered Country because it's got these weird light particles coming off of it that we never saw really in Next Gen. It was just, I hate the budget cutting of these movies. Yeah, But would the movies exist without it? 
No. So with this explosion, or with this attack on the Enterprise D, the Dura sisters are exploded. The whole setup for this is we're going to have two seconds. We're only going to have two seconds to be able to to fire this because when they cloak, their shields will temporarily go down. Sounds like a major design flaw, if you ask me. And yet they still have time for, you know, they, they make it happen. They re-harmonize something, blah, 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 to make the ship cloak. We are cloaking! What? Our shields are down! And they still have time for Will to take a two-second pause and then go... Fire. And then the photon goes really slow. I'm like, so their shields are back up? I mean, two seconds. Pick up the pace. Or, you know... Just something. It was. I know they wanted the badass Riker moment, but it, it just it didn't ring true for me. You think they're trying to get trying to recreate the end of uh, Best of Both Worlds there? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> with, with, with better results. <laughs> we don't want to think too much about speed and time in this movie because if the Nexus travels every seventy eight years across the galaxy, then it moves at the speed of light. Uh, yeah, and yet it clearly does not. And yet it does not. Um, the Speaking of the speed of light, let's presume that Viridian 3, well, Viridian 3 is at least the third planet from its sun, hence mm-hmm. the name 3. It seems to be M-class, so, you know, Earth-like, so it's probably roughly the same distance as Earth. Light from our sun takes uh. eight minutes to get... Here, why does a rocket apparently just going on like chemical propulsion get to the sun in 15 seconds and then it doesn't take another eight minutes for it to come back yeah yeah it would yeah it's it's all hand-waving so, bullcrap but you know what like we like we said a long time ago when we recorded wrath of khan like there you can nitpick all that shit in wrath of khan too and i don't I notice it because I've seen the movie 20 times, but I don't care because the movie's really good. Yeah, that's a difference it, here. We're when, not in a good movie this time. When the movie is the if the if the overall movie doesn't work, then you you wind up having the time and the um, you, you're not being distracted by a good movie. So you go, wait, why is that rocket getting there so fast? You know, Jesus. So it gets there. It explodes. Um, uh, when the, when the enterprise separates, I'm 99% sure that under belly shot of it first separating is right from encounter and far, far point And then oh. used throughout the, it's, it's exactly the same shot. The shot of it pulling away when, from the back, from where you can see the, uh, uh, pretty much the battle bridge area. Uh, when that separates, that's a new shot because there's all that particles that come off that we never saw. And also it separates way too quickly. When it separates in a counter four point, it is half of the Star Trek, the motion picture suite happening. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it takes four minutes in the thing, and they're just like, well, we're going to separate. Okay, we're separated. Did they did they figure out a way to, to speed up the process here? The star drive section of the Enterprise explodes because of a warp core breach. Because of that, the shockwave sends the Enterprise hurtling towards Viridian 3 and mom you love this line I remember Data's oh shit (laughs) this is a great sequence the whole the whole crash is a great sequence it's beautiful and it's kind of we're not getting models anymore really after this yeah 
but certainly not model work like this. This is like one of the last great gasps, uh, gasps. It's a great, great triumphs for ILM and model work and, and crashing that saucer section. It looks great, even, it's, you know. It's really, really, really well done. The tension is there. Did you find yourself during it with your body language going, uh, 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 trying to help him? <laughs> Yep. Uh, some some great moments in it. The actual shot where it's coming towards the trees and it feels like it's coming towards the camera. That was shot with a mirror because obviously you don't want to send a, I'm guessing, six foot uh, wide saucer section or maybe bigger because it's the larger part of it. Well, however big that model is, added a very expensive camera. So they just sent it towards a mirror and had the camera put in a way that it hit it. And it just hit the mirror and broke it. So good thing they moved, they didn't do the camera. And the end of it, when it finally like comes to a full stop, and all the um, like the captain's chair and the all the other chairs come flying forward. Like, of course, it's in space. It doesn't, and they've got artificial gravity. They don't need to bolt things down. Obviously, right. I just I I, I love it. I was it was a really fun scene. And then, unfortunately, we are now. In the Nexus. <laughs> thank goodness. No. No, not Well, no, if you hadn't been in the Nexus, then when Viridium 3 exploded, everybody yeah, would be gone. Yeah, R.I.P. the entire uh, uh, crew and uh, and uh, regiment of the, not regiment, what's the hell is the word I'm looking for? Complement yes. of the Enterprise D. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in here it says that Picard enters the Nexus and Picard finds himself surrounded by his idealized family. Really? This is his, this foppy British children? And Victorian. But not Victorian. Like, they're also clearly still in the future. Yeah, it's so weird. Again, it's, it, we're here we are with first drafts, you know? Well, and, and to that point, one of the kids is playing with a toy. I believe the toy line was called the Exo Warriors. He's got that little spaceship thing, and he's going like this with it. Oh, yeah, Give him a freaking Enterprise. You're telling me they don't sell models of the Enterprise in this universe? Come on. Would have saved him so much time and wouldn't have made me go, hey, I could buy that toy at KB Toys after the movie. (laughs) Cup of El Grey. That would be perfect. Picard is loving it, but then he realizes, you know, oh, this isn't real because, like you said, the it, it's not like a message it's sending. It's just a little flash in the uh, ornaments on the Christmas tree, both outside and in the house. Guinan shows up. I thought you were on board the Enterprise. I am. I'm also here. Think of me as an echo of the person you know. Which makes no sense to me. Yeah, don't don't spend a whole, don't spend a whole lot of time on it. <laughs> which is what the script is saying. Don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about this. Speaking of which, do we have do we have any reason why we think that Picard isn't just immediately sucked in by the Nexus and completely overwhelmed with like being inside of joy, and yet uh, the the ornaments keep flashing and it's bringing him back to reality. But, but why? Why does that happen? Is it because? It, do human is it work differently on humans than it does on Elorians because humans are shorter lived than Elorians and therefore more primed to consider mortality a natural state and not 
I don't, you know, because they have or, to get to it, the end it, of this movie. No, I, there no. you go. No. That that's what I'm. That's what the question I'm asking is like: Is there any way we can justify this other than they needed to get him out? Maybe. Of okay. Well, I'm interested to hear this. I'm guessing Guinan went in willingly. We're very clear that Soren went in willingly. Kirk went in unknowingly. You know, the, the the ground literally went out from under him, and then he's in there. That's why he's kind of slightly like he just woke up, it feels like, when he's... Right. Picard knows he's going into the Nexus because he sees it's coming, but he doesn't want to go into the Nexus. I'm wondering if right. that's that's the show don't tell. Is it because he had been told about the Nexus and told what to expect, yep. it is unable to get its claws on him? I, you know what? I, I will give this movie the benefit of the doubt and and buy that without it needing to necessarily be told it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm just, this is my headcanon, but I'm sure, you know, uh, Ronald D. Moore, uh, Brandon Braga, if you want to come onto our podcast and uh, let us know, we'd be more than happy to have you. <laughs> also, Jonathan Frakes, please answer our tweets. <laughs> Picard goes to meet James T. Kirk at... Uh, it clearly, like clearly, William Shatner was like, "Yeah, I'll be in this movie, but you're going to film it at my cabin, and you're going to, yeah, right. And you're, I'm going to charge you to be at my cabin. Like he, he got his way around it. It was, yeah, it's. But that's not his cabin. Oh yeah, it is. That's that's William Shatner's cabin. Oh, all right. Well, I'll read, find what I read today. Oh, the house of Kirk's Nexus Regulations was located in Lone Pine, California. With the cabin filled with props to represent represent Kirk's career, it doesn't say it's his cabin though. I remember reading somewhere that it is his. And wow. they, and, and, I mean, he's got a batleth up there, which is nice yep. little show don't tell of Kirk has come to peace with the Klingons, obviously. Or he killed them and took their bat. <laughs> killed all Klingons everywhere. So yeah, with this this weird thing where. He's making breakfast for his great lost love. Who we never heard of before, right? Yeah, it's not Carol Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, it is not Carol Marcus because they didn't want to have to. Well, you know, we never see her, so they wouldn't have to pay. But didn't they uh, mention her name? Antonia. Yeah, we do see her. Antonia. She's on a horse. Okay, so there's an episode of Next Generation where Cadet Crusher is in a accident that kills two cadets. And one of the actors in it is Robert Duncan McNeil, who plays Tom Paris on Voyager. They wanted his character, I think, Lacarna, I think is his name. They wanted that character to be the character in Voyager. Then they found out that if they used that character, they'd have to pay the guy who wrote the episode royalties for every episode that he was in. So they're like, well, we'll just change his name to Tom Paris and make it the exact same character. <laughs> it's literally what they did. And Tom and a lot of people's head is that he just he changed his name. Picard convinces Kirk. You're a Starfleet officer. You have a duty. I don't need to be lectured by you. I was out saving the galaxy when your grandfather was in diapers. There's some nice sparring going back and forth between the two of them. Um, uh, it is uh, not Kirk. Shatner has said. That the hardest line he's ever had to say is James C. Kirk is. Who am I to argue with the captain of the Enterprise? Which shows what you said in Wrath of Khan. William Shatter doesn't have any ego, but he has ego about Kirk. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So initially, the first failed attempt that Picard has to stop Saren, there's a shot where he, he Saren's walking away from the missile and he's 
going across one of the girder bridges and Picard walks into frame and you see his black pant leg. When they leave the Nexus, it is Sarns walking to, away from the missile on the girder plat frame and it's Kirk that's supposed to be standing here. Except what do Wrath of Khan era uniforms have on their pant leg? Bell bottoms. And a giant damn red stripe. Oh, yeah. No, it's not the same. Guess what's not there. It's the same pants, yeah. It's the same shot. I mean, that that's not what bothers me. I mean, I just the thing, I guess the th- that's just lazy. We should talk about this because the big selling point of this movie, right, is Kirk meets Picard. Kirk meets Picard, and what happens? Nothing. Is like <laughs> they make they make eggs, which is you know what I always wanted to see. He calls him a dillweed. <laughs> you know what it is? Is that instead of doing anything with the contrast between these two captains, they kind of imply they're the same person. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, oh, never had a family and cling to the chair. They're very different characters with very different approaches to being a captain. And I wish they'd done something to highlight that. And again, this probably would have meant getting us into the Nexus a lot earlier and having yeah. more time. Done something to highlight that a more action-oriented Kirk versus a more cerebral and... Um, and ba- uh, you know, uh, diplomatic, diplomatic mm-hmm. Picard, and, and and then maybe highlight it, and then have it go the other way, where Picard has to deck Soren to to stop him, but then Kirk has to talk him down <laughs> instead of them you know both just I mean? punching like, each other. Yeah. Instead of just being a puncher, like find something to to do something to contrast, and then have them have to take on each other's, uh, you know characteristics something do something with it other than just put them in the same frame and go there you happy nerds well was that all the stuff that was cut from when they had to reshoot the the death of kirk because um malcolm mcdowell decided to (laughs) say everything no they reshot the death of kirk because it didn't it didn't test well because he was just sort of shot it was less you know and something i noticed about kirk's death hey uh, we're, we got there, guys. Listening, uh, Kirk dies. Um, but Ba-ba-bum. but he, I really saw a shot, a close up on Shatner's face, where he makes a conscious decision. He clocks the bend, the the the, the chain is falling, is bending apart, and he knows he's gonna, it's he's gonna bring that bridge piece down. Yeah. Um. When he falls, he, he knows he's going to fall, and he chooses to do it anyway. It's, and I, it's almost I, like it's the needs of the many yeah. uh, way the needs of the few or the one. I like that, and I've, I think I've missed that in previous viewings of this film, that what a conscious choice that is framed as. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's... there's... <sighs> Here's where I'm going to complain about David Carson for a second, uh, the director of this film. He did. Here are the episodes of Next Generation that David Carson did. The Enemy, okay, w- which is, I believe, the first appearance of the Cardassians. Maybe. Hang on. No, 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 no. It's the LaForge is uh, gets left behind in the storm plagued planet when the rest of the team and it's their one of their many attempts at a uh, starship mine or uh, enemy, enemy mine. Enemy mine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good episode. It's a good episode. Well done. Okay. Good episode. Good episode one. Then he did the 
stone cold classic, Yesterday's Enterprise. I don't need to say any more. It is my favorite ship, the Enterprise C. It's a great episode. Without that episode, we do not get uh, Romulan Tasha Yar. Okay. Then he did Redemption Part Two. I mean, I think there's nothing. He did the pilot of of Deep Space Nine. Dax, which is a great episode of Deep Space Nine, where the symbiote is taken out of Dax. Mom, you've seen that episode. Mm-hmm. And then, well, the only one on here that I'm like, he did move along home. So nobody's favorite episode, but <laughs> yeah, I don't think that I don't think the direction is the problem here. I think from a visual standpoint, it could have some more interesting compositions and such. But that's tr- that's going from television to film. That's often a problem for directors. Uh, the direction isn't. The problem, the the acting isn't the problem. The script, the script is the problem. It just the script doesn't work. It's herky jerky. It's it, it doesn't do anything with with great ideas. It it's got a lot of interesting ideas that then don't get. And it really is like it's like I wonder if anybody has ever taken this this movie and like taught it in a screenwriting class on the importance of drafting. And not, you know, but seriously, like the difference between coming up with interesting ideas, Data puts in the emotion chip, Kirk meets Picard, they crash the Enterprise, you know, things that people go, yeah, I want to see that. But then actually making it work in a script requires more than just coming up with the cool idea. You have to, like, get down into the nitty gritty execution. And that just didn't happen. It did not at all. There's. Some beautiful moments in this. Uh, there's, I I, I kind of offhandedly mentioned it, but this fight on Viridian Three with Kirk, Picard, and Saren, very clear when the reshoot starts because suddenly D- Malcolm McDowell goes from like four days worth of beard to five o'clock shadow. <laughs> it is you really, know, really poorly done. Okay, so you and I have just crapped on this movie for a while, I, Mom. I know you didn't dislike it as much as us. I want to hear your thoughts. What What did you like about it? Ooh, are we going to measure of a man this episode? No, no. I just, I just want to hear your thoughts about it more. I liked the the comedy interspaced, inter, interspaced with the mm-hmm. drama of it. Okay. I helped, thought it helped move it along. Uh, you've got to remember that for the average Trek fan, this is not a bad movie because we don't notice things like there's not a red stripe on the pant and there's he had didn't have a beard and though at the end when they piled all the rocks up on Kirk and they he lays his communicator down, your dad asks, What is the A on the communicator? And I didn't know. It's not an A, it's it's the Starfleet emblem. But it's a different one. It's it's the Kirk era one um originally each ship had their own and the enterprise just had the the delta shield but by the time we get to the movies they're like nah everyone's got the same one like if you watch tos episodes where they come in with other ships like the defiant and um help me out colin what are some other ships they oh i mean and any ship or starbase they go to they have a different emblem there that was never indicated to be anything other than the emblem for the Enterprise until the films, and then retroactively for anything that shows a preview, you know. Yeah, and it's just the Delta. It's called the Delta Shield. It's it's a modified. Ver- it's the precursor to the communicator, and that's not. Uh, it's a precursor to his to a the communicator badge, the com badge, 
but with Kirk, it's not his communicator. It's just his uh, Starfleet insignia. It's not. It, 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 there's no communication device in that one. Okay. Well, it, it, we don't. We as an average Star Trek fan don't notice all the things that you. I mean, the the difference in the. Um, yeah, I mean the, the uniforms. Stuff, yeah. But so you you can pick it apart and say this and this and this, and I see uh-huh. where you're coming from, but I still enjoyed the movie. I didn't understand a lot of it the first time or the second time. I couldn't understand. It, it just it finally became clear to me that the reason, I mean, the saucer landed and then the the ribbon comes through and the planet explodes and all of a sudden it dawned on me, well, that's where the saucer was. And then all of a sudden they're in the Nexus and they come back before that. Yep. Yeah. But I still. Oh, that's what. That's what one. The one from two to three. How did? How did they? I mean, he's on two, right? Soren and they aren't they all on two? No, they're on Viridian three. Nobody they are three. on three. Yeah. Nobody ever goes to Viridian two. I think it's Viridian four that they mention. Viridian three has no life on it, but Viridian four has a two hundred and fifty million. Per, uh, person, uh, pre-industrial civilization. Okay, and right. that's what. And I got that's two, who they're really worried about confused. saving. Yeah, well, that's who yeah. they're really worried about saving, right? I, I, no, I mean, look, obviously, I mean, then the the weird thing about this movie is I don't really love it, but it is oddly watchable. Like, there's, like, yep. it, yeah, part of that is like I was saying, like. You love spending time with these characters, and this the actors are doing well, and it's it, and and because there are good ideas, and like the story, if you were to tell the story in like well as we have been doing, uh, the you know, read the synopsis, there's nothing that goes oh well that's a dumb idea that's you know no the synopsis <laughs> or, it's uh, but it it and I guess maybe for me this movie is more about the wasted potential you know like <sighs> I wish it, I wish it was better i don't think it's it, mm-hmm. i certainly don't think it's going to reach my bottom three Oof. when, when well, we I, reevaluate the worst of these movies this, at the end this but it's like but a, there's like a there's like it could have been so much more sure the one thing that i well I, one thing i like good luck captain come on jim i mean no, i just thought that good. was so <laughs> kirk that is just so kirk and, and picard's look back at him is great okay shatner is yeah. a better fighter than Patrick is because Patrick's scene where he's fighting Soren just looks so bad. I mean, sure I just, did. I was just like, oh my God, you can tell it's a double. And when they do the close up, it just, it just wasn't realistic to me. And I'm comparing Kirk and Picard. Picard is cerebral. Kirk mm-hmm. is swashbuckling. That's the way I look at him. The, the difference. Were you saying then we're trying to say they were the same person? And they're not. No, they're nowhere near the same person. Well, I agree. I just think that the the film treats them that way. The script is doesn't frame them as different, doesn't find a way to to highlight an interesting antithesis between them, but rather yeah. is like, oh, very devoted captains, never t- found time for a family. You know, like it doesn't it's, it doesn't do anything with the idea that Kirk is more is more instinctual and he's more cerebral. It almost kind of goes back on Kirk Drift. It brings him more to bit. the straight laced uh captain. 
It's, yeah. it's very strange. No, no. See, the the scene that after he's when they're on the horses, <laughs> yeah. right? And Kirk does a recap. I take it the odds are against us, and the situation is grim. You could say that. You know, if Spock were here, he'd say that I was an irrational, illogical human being for taking on a mission like that. Sounds like fun. Yeah. And he, that's why he agrees to do it. So that, to me, shows how different they are from the way Picard explained it and the way Kirk interpreted mm-hmm. it, that they're different. Oh, by the way, did you notice how Kirk's horse moved sideways over to Picard? Yeah, because yeah. Uh, William Shatner is a very, very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Horseman. Skilled horse. Skilled, horseman. yeah. He, and that's his horse. That's his horse, yeah. And that's his meanwhile, horse, his you, horse. you could kind of tell that Patrick Stewart's like, ah, shit, shit. <laughs> I don't like being on this horse. Not going to go to his cabin and bring some other guy's horse. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true. That's probably true. Oh, boy. I mean, it's interesting to hear the things that you guys see in these movies. But I'm looking at it from the point of... Not someone who's a Star Trek nerd, but I, you know, I I enjoy the Star Trek movies sure. for what they are, entertainment. Yeah. Well, for but for me, I think it's it, it, the like it's it's about the script and and it it not landing these themes and the things that we had. The f- nitpicky stuff is is fun to notice, but like I said before, about you know, like, I wouldn't care if the movie worked better. You know, I, I would say, well, we got, we're not, we don't want to sit here for eight minutes while something flies to the sun. So of course it's going to go fast, but you notice the, and, and get bothered by these sorts of nitpicky things. Mm -hmm. So let's wrap this up. Um, Kirk dies. Let's do it real fast. Kirk dies. Well, the best death scene ever. Yeah. So talk about the death scene. You like it? I did. It just, it was, to me, it was a perfect ending for Kurt. Did we do it? We make a difference. Oh, yes. We made a difference. Thank you. At least I could do. With the captain of the Enterprise. I just thought it was perfect. I thought the writing that just to me it was the perfect thing. I like the make a difference uh-huh. idea that read mm-hmm. through. Yeah, I really think that's a nice way of doing. Yeah, you know. and yeah. specifically his death. I love oh my. I love that yeah. his eyes don't close because guess what? Sometimes when people die, their eyes don't close. And I love that they stayed away from the trope of coming in and closing because oh, yeah. guess what's going to happen? The eyes are going to go boop because the muscles have. Stuck in that place. You can't close someone's eyes once they're dead. Really? You can't. No. That's why they used to put uh, pennies. pennies and stuff on people's eyes because they died with their eyes open. There's no there's something about the muscles in there. Once you die, they're stuck there. Hmm. So, yeah, it is. It is a, a real. It's one of the best moments uh, Shatner gives out of the series. You know, it's nice and subdued. His oh my is, you know, he's going where no one has gone before that lives in the world so it, 
It's good. Uh, they're doing a salvage mission on the Enterprise D. Data, over here I found something. One life sign, very faint. Data finds Spot. Spot? Brent Spiner himself did not want to do this scene because he hated the cat who played Spot. Oh, really? Oh, he hated it. He's like, can he find Jordy? Can he find someone he actually cares about? No, actually, I think, see, this is one of the scenes with Data's emotions that works for me. It, it works yeah. just in the back of your head, like, you're like, Brent Spiner's going to be like, this is so stupid. This yeah. damn cat. Riker and Picard, Picard now back in his TNG uniform. That's the problem with the uniforms in this movie. On Deep Space Nine, you showed up on Deep Space Nine from your starship in a TNG. Then when you were assigned to your station on Deep Space Nine, you got the color top with the black and the purple uh, turtleneck underneath. People switch back and forth in this movie, and it, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's okay. So they're trying to find uh, Picard's family album. They find it. They kind of wax poetic. I'm miss this ship. She went before her time. Someone once told me that time was a predator that stalked us all our lives. But I rather believe that time is a companion who goes with us on the journey, reminds us to cherish every moment because it'll never come again. What we leave behind is not as important as how we've lived. After all, number one, we're only mortal. And, you know, that's a deep, really philosophical, beautiful thing that Picard says. And it's almost like Riker can't have a deep philosophical moment because, of course, his response is, Speak for yourself, sir. I plan to live forever. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, damn it, Riker, I'm trying to have a moment with you. Did you know, I read something the other day. Mm -hmm. That was one thing that Gene Roddenberry insisted on for Riker. For for Riker, could, he couldn't smile. Yeah. He could not smile. Jeez, it's almost like Gene had some really bad ideas because that was one of the things. And they, the the thing I read said, if you know Jonathan Frakes, he's a guy who smiles a lot. So it was very difficult for him. And of course, he starts smiling after Roddenberry dies. <laughs> he starts yeah. smiling once Roddenberry's not really in charge. And how, mm -hmm. how dare you, Gene Roddenberry, from beyond? How dare you? When Jonathan Frake smiles, you're like, uh-oh, something mischievous is about to happen. Yeah. <laughs> he has such a great, like, like yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do something now. Smile to him. It's great. They beam up. There are three ships that are there. I just want to point out there is a Nebula-class starship, the USS Farragut, which will be mentioned by name in the Abrams movies. Along with it, there is a Miranda-class that is never mentioned what it is, and uh, the old ugly Oberth-class, the uh, USS Grissom. Oh, yeah, yeah the Grissom. Which I believe if you go back to Search for Spock, I'm like, that is an ugly, ugly starship. Named after a astronaut. Yeah, and I'm sure he was really pissed when he saw that. Like, that's the ship I'm named after? Thinks I a piece don't of think crap. he was alive when that... Well, he'd already died, hadn't he? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I think he died in uh, the, so, the fire. I may be wrong. Oh, Jesus. Maybe he did. Uh, so they all... All three ships warp away and credits. And that, dear yeah. crew... Is Star Trek Generations? My God, I, I, Mom, what is your timer on your uh, audacity? Are you at like two hours seven over minutes. two hours? Yeah. Two hours and seven oh, God, minutes. Thank, uh, uh, thank God, I can't. No, wait, do we? Okay, I can't do this. Wait, do, you can. do we need to do all the questions or do, or do those? 
Oh yeah, yeah, we're doing the questions too. I just want to make sure that, mom's that mom's, mom is not in the nexus. <laughs> okay, so I mean, do we need to answer the first question? No, this is not a good movie. It's not a bad. It's just. And you know what this movie is? This movie is a warm glass of milk. You put this movie on to get a little sleepy to, to go to bed. Like, it's just, you know, the thing. It's comforting, but it's This is bad. one of those movies that seems to have been made. You know, there's a lot of talk right now in our pandemic era about, you know, our movies. I make my movie for the movie theater. This is a movie that seems to have been made to be watched possibly with commercials on a rainy Sunday afternoon because you found it on television. Do you know what I mean? Like that's one of those places where you're like, yeah, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't necessarily run to choose this movie over other Star Trek movies or other, any other movies, but I wouldn't turn it off if I was filling time. A thing like I never do anymore with movies, but you know, yeah. Well, some, I mean, especially this is not, there's one specific Next Generation movie, which is the next one we're going to do. That's the one I'm going to go to if I want to watch Next Generation right. movie. It's just, the, it's okay. What were you going to say? Inter- the, the, I read some of the comments um, from uh, some critics. Um, mm. uh, Jay Boyer from the Sentinel, uh, Orlando Sentinel, Boyer felt that specific plot beats would fly over the heads of casual viewers but the film's innate sense of fun would keep them engaged that's probably hmm. i'm not a diehard diehard star trek fan but enjoys it um <laughs> one of the things janet maslin from the new york times suggested that despite being a quote predictably flabby and impenetrable in places and suffering from techno babble, there was enough action and spectacle to engage others. So from a casual Star Trek that likes the movies and likes action movies, it's a good movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely not saying it is a bad movie. It's not bad. It's just kind of there it's i sat down to watch this last night and i was like here we go but i still found myself enjoying what i was watching for the most part Mm -hmm. it's very watchable yeah it's a it's a a watchable bad movie (laughs) (laughs) okay is it good star trek Mm, yeah you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a pass on the good star trek thing just for what, you know, and I might not have said this, but, you know, I don't, again, I still think it could have done more with the difference between Kirk and Picard, but the idea that they both are people who care about making a difference. Yeah. I like yeah. that, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was a good line. I said, yeah. Um, uh, would you recommend this as someone's introduction to Star Trek? No. 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 It does. It does no. They wouldn't understand yeah, what was it's going not, on. Again, it's it. I don't think it's good enough film to want to really hook someone unless they're like a I don't know a diehard Malcolm McDowell fan. But um, but it's <laughs> it's also the 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 main issue is really just you're not going to know what the hell's going on. You know, it it's yeah. just way you won't you understand have, any. This of is it. the movie where you have to you have to have like two television series worth of background and understanding to fully appreciate, as opposed to just yeah, one. Like, yeah, like you, you got to figure if, if this literally is the first thing you show somebody. So it's the Enterprise B. So initially, their first question is like, "Well, what happened to the 
the Enterprise and the Enterprise A. Then Kirk dies. Then it fades to the middle of the ocean. It says 78 years later. And they're going to be like, what am I, what are you making me watch right now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Definitely. So we can still do this question. Kirk drift status update. Oh yeah. I think they push it back. I think they push, I think they make him more, you know, uh, wrath of Khan level, um, Kirk, he's out for adventure, but he does things by the book. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he's as he's as swaggering. Yeah, as he is in like uh, five and six. Yeah. Now, do we need to? Do we need to? Um, well, I guess we'll talk about this next time. Is are we going to track any Picard drift? Well, listen, the next movie, he's a goddamn action star. Yeah. <laughs> no, really, I mean, yeah, this is what this is what I'm getting at. Like, did, is there a change in who Picard is between Next Generation and the films? And does should... it make sense? That's going to be I think, I think that, that, that that'll I, be the question. I think that's our new our new tracker there, the, the Picard mm-hmm. drift until we get yeah. until we swing back around into the Abrams movies. Yeah. Well, listen, the Fast and the Furious level of drifting with 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 the Kelvin universe, Kirk. Like a Tokyo he's, drift? Yeah, he's all over the damn place. Um, what's the best moment? Mom, you had a strong feeling before. Well, I, I've said it was the bet that to me that the death of Kirk was. Yeah. Okay. It kind of brought it. It was a way to to satisfy both original generation people and. Uh, next generation of the pa- of the, the passing of the baton, which is what they wanted to do. In the a lot of people wanted to do it at the beginning of the film. I think that was the way to do it. And he died a hero. Yay! He sure did. He sure yes, did. Yes. How about you, Colin? I really like that scene in stellar cartography. Specifically, not the not the plot advancing bits about the stars, but you know. Uh, Picard having to step in and be Data's super ego. The, the yeah. part that says, "Damn it, you have a duty to do, and you will do it." Be- yeah, it's it. Yeah, it's a it's a great scene. Yeah. I, I agree. It's you know, um, there's a there's a reason that from this point on, the friendship seems to be between Picard and Data. I think they finally realize, like, oh, Spiner and uh, Stewart really work well off each other. Yeah. I'm sure it comes from, you know, they're, they're best friends. I believe Spiner was his best man. Uh, I don't know. But I, I they had, a, you know, that's those are characters who have a lot of quality time together on the show, too. You know, that's an important that's, that's fair. relationship. But, yeah, it's, um, yes, from here on out, each one of these films will be a little bit the Picard and Data show. <laughs> especially, oof, especially Nemesis. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, mine was the... Troy and Picard. I just mm. man that that scene last yeah, night just scene. hit me in such a beautiful way. I was like, "Wow, this is great." Sad but great. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a good scene. Is there anything anyone would cut? Twenty five percent of the data comedy. <laughs> yeah, fair. I, that, yes, a lot of 100%. it. I would, a lot of the the, yeah. the maniacal laughing was just too much. I love the mm-hmm. the comedy where he did the the sock the. Mr. Tricorder. Mr. Tricorder and Open Sesame. Make it so. Something that that didn't carry on for like 10 minutes. It was just too much. Putting it in there in spots would have worked better as far as I'm concerned. I agree with you, Colin. The the, the Viridian Starbase is really where you just wanted 
Jordy just lean over and just turn <laughs> data off. And be like, all right, now it's time to get to work. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it was it was rough. Everything else was fine. Admiral status actor. Oof. Nobody's really shining in this movie. I think it's got to be for me the person who carries what emotional through line they managed to create in this film, despite its its disjointed plotting, is Patrick Stewart. Sure. You know, yeah, I mean that's fair. Picard is definitely the protagonist of the film. Picard is the person who has to, you know, change and make choices. And I so I really think that that's. Yeah, that's what it comes down well, I, to. I thought that for the next generation, the character of Data was so straight-laced and so straight-faced and so logical with everything. And I think the acting that Brett Spiner did once they put the emotion chip in, even though we thought it went on for too long, he still did a good <laughs> job of it. Sure. I mean, it, I'm sure he was directed to be as obnoxious as possible. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, and he did it. He did it. He's very obnoxious. It's just I didn't need it in the film. Yeah. But yeah. He, with what he with what he was given, he did a good job. So Brent Spiner's your admiral actor mm-hmm. status. Okay, I'm going to go with Colin. I'm going to say Picard. Um, no, especially <laughs> right. the the, the uh, like the scene where he's talking to Troy. You know, obviously my favorite seen in the movie it's it's the it's mom i don't know the last hour oh, colin i don't know the last time either one of you revisited the episode sarek but it's oh, yeah. that level of there's a there's a sweeping shot slow but sweeping shot from left to right of uh picard when he has taken on all the emotions that sarek had to like i can't remember he like purges them into him or something i can't remember exactly what he does but you watch Patrick Stewart go through, I'm going to confidently say, quite literally every single human emotion possible. And it is wonderful. And we did, and he doesn't get another moment like that until the scene with, uh, with Troy. And, yeah. I mean, mainly also because he was reading the script for his next movie Jeffrey and he read the scene where uh his character's lover uh dies and he was so moved by it he's like we got to shoot the scene I've got I've got this emotion here right now let's do this and it's just it's so wonderful um he's so good and he's probably going to be my admiral for the next movie too uh um, any episode pairings that we have any recommendations I I said last time I don't know if you like I said it if you didn't get it I don't no because I don't, you don't have all see, I, I can't name titles of some I, in the middle of the season three <laughs> see I would say if you really want to watch a wonderful next generation movie written by Brandon Braga and uh, Ron Moore go watch All Good Things which they wrote right before yeah. this made right before this and was made for what a Maybe a third of the money or less, uh-huh. and is much more successful. Just a proof that you can. It's not. It's not about cheapness. It's about care and time. So all good things is a is the finale of uh, 
Next Generation. Next Generation, generation. okay. Which I don't know if you recall the episode, Mom, but, you know, Picard is, like, hopping around. Q has basically gotten him unstuck in time, and so you revisit the the events of the pilot at Farpoint and the far future and, the you know, it's a... And it's the, it's the disease that he has in uh, Picard, so it's a nice little... Yeah, yeah. Uh, nod back to, uh, in Picard. It's a nice nod back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I definitely would say that, but I'd also say as a pairing, if you want to do like three episodes of Next Generation and then this movie and then First Contact, the next one, do Best of Both Worlds, so you're caught up on what happens in um, uh, First Contact. But then watch Home, watch the next episode where he goes to visit Robert and um, Renee and. You get to know these characters are not just, you know, amorphous names in a movie. You actually get to see, you get to see Picard fight his brother in a in the mud in a uh, a vineyard. <laughs> so, it's they're fun episodes, and and I think that would be a fun pairing doing that. Okay, that's the end. That I think is gonna cover it because we're not gonna rank anything. We'll rank the next generation movies once we move along with them, and then when we finish all the next generation movies, we'll do all. Uh, let's see, nine movies. Well, like you said there were thirteen. Well, before I mean, the, we before we switch over to Abrams, ten movies. Before we switch over oh, to okay. Kelvin, yeah, the ten. You're right, six and four. Uh, so, Colin. If anyone wants to reach out on you on subspace frequencies, how would they reach you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Roll of Colin Ryan. Okay, I am on Twitter at Not Ryan Casey, and uh, the podcast itself has a Twitter account. That pretty much what we're doing now at the time of this recording is begging Jonathan Frakes to come on and talk <laughs> to us, especially since we are about to do his. Uh, Maybe his movie directorial debut, but... I believe it's his film directorial debut. And he does a damn fine job with it, uh, First Contact. We're trying to get him to come on and talk to us. So, Mr. Frakes, please join us. Pretty please. We'll be nice, we promise. Yeah, we got Sarek to join us. Oh. Or Savick. Savick, rather. Savick to join us. We didn't get, we didn't get Mark Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, that would have been that would have been quite a get, as I believe he passed about 15 years ago. <laughs> he sure did. Uh, so, um, Mom, once again, you are staying uh, subspace social media anonymous. Well, I'm if thinking of to... joining Twitter just so I can listen to you two guys, but probably not. Oh, oh boy. Oh, no, no. It's such a bad idea. Don't, no, not for, not for us. You're not going to like Twitter. It's mean and yeah. terrible. <laughs> It's a it's it's a bad place. It's a very bad place. No, you know what? Maybe we can curate your Twitter just right so you can only. But yeah, there's a lot of terrible things there. Yeah, sure. Are. Uh, so um, that is Star Trek Generations. Next month we will be reviewing Star Trek First Contact. Um, nice. Well, as I like to call it, the Star, the only Star Trek movie Danny will not watch because Danny is afraid of the Borg. Um, is she really? Yeah, she does not like them. I mean, they're zombies. Well, I mean, who they're, does? They're, nah, they freak her out. Like oh. she can't, she can't watch Just it. Like, like me with snakes. Huh? Yeah, 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 she, she, she's always like, "Ooh, the Borg." I'm like, "Really? Oh. The Borg? Have, what, 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 what if they Borg a snake?" That's oh, please! Oh, God! A hair on the back of <laughs> my listen, neck is standing up. The resistance is futile. Res- yeah, damn it! You beat me. Resistance is futile. <laughs> And if you're following along, the movies seem to be streaming again. 
Uh, yeah, well, that was really by the time weird. This about, episode comes out. That was really weird about generations. I mean, I looked the day before you said it was back on, and it was not there. And then I look. I will always make this. I will always make this plug. You can probably get it out of your local library for free. Yeah, but that Damn that straight. means I've got to go to the library, and I'd rather just get my books on my, my tablet. Sup- support to, I, support I, your local library. Oh, I do. I yes. get my, all my books from the library, but they're on my tablet. Uh, I bet you if you went on to uh, your site. For, probably, no, you no. probably can't. Yeah, I bet you can't rent it from a library. I'd be very surprised if you could do You that. mean on my tablet? Stream, Stream, rent, no, rent I don't think they stream. Yeah, uh, yeah our, no, they do, our, our they county do, library does. but There are lots of movies you can do that with, but I'm guessing not things like this that people are trying. Not big things that people try to build franchises yeah. around. You're not going to. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, so, um, Admiral, would you like to uh, do our sign-off? Sure. We have been, and ever shall be, your podcast. That's right.